The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for The Wrap and Bloody Disgusting, and everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I'm the other guy. And uh, we are very, very excited here to talk about maybe the most famous and acclaimed failed television series in history. It's actually weird it took us this long to get to it, but I'm so glad we waited it's kind of on the line, to be fair. We'll talk about it for a minute, but I, I do think it counts. And I'm so glad we waited because we get to have with us a very, very special guest. You may know her as Video Drew, but to us, she is Drew Grant. Hello, Drew Grant. Hi, so happy to be here. <laughs> so happy to be here. It sounds like a bit, but it's not. I'm just really happy to be here. <laughs> Thank you for coming on and, and oh my discussing gosh. what we're going to discuss because... Until you brought this up, this was something that I think, according to like our not-at-all-stringent rules, it didn't really count as a TV pilot, because we're talking about something that was repurposed yes. into a feature film that ended up winning a bunch of film awards. Yes. But it's super important to know that this is a lot of the reasons I think that people have issues or like, I don't like this, this film, is because mm. they don't understand that it was a repurposed pilot. Yeah. And it's a really fascinating history, and I want to talk a lot about a little film-slash-TV pilot called Mulholland Dr. Mulholland Doctor. Yeah, it's Mulholland DR period. It's Mulholland Drive. This girl is the one. I can't believe it. I'm just so excited to be here. I'm in this dream place. This one comes highly recommended. What are you doing? Get out of the car. Yeah. The girl is still missing. What's wrong? I don't know who I am. I wonder where you were going. Come on, it'll be just like in the movies. We'll pretend to be someone else. Silencio. Okay, so that's Mulholland Drive. <laughs> that's our clip. All right. Yeah. Um, so, Drew. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. You wanted to talk about Mulholland Drive. I did. And you wanted to talk about your... Rel- we'll talk about the history of it and everything, but you wanted to talk about your relationship to Mulholland Drive and why this was so important you to talk about this particular... Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so, I if, I mean, if, uh, if you guys haven't done your research on me, and why would you? Uh, you would find out that I actually taught a class on David Lynch in college when I went to Oberlin, and that's something you can do at Oberlin College is teach classes. Teach a class yeah, on if David you're, Lynch. Yeah, if you're good enough at it. So, I, I taught a class on David Lynch. Uh, I've 
four, four or five David Lynch tattoos. I'm very much like a, a Lynch head. What tattoos do you have? I have In Heaven Everything is Fine. That was my very first one. Nice. I have Laura Palmer's arms going meanwhile. Nice. I have a Coffee and Cherry Pie. And then I have, oh, what is the fifth one? It's something involving... It's, it's a sandworm. No, 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 no. Sorry, my fifth one is a Cronenberg Spire tattoo, so that, that, that's... Not a, quite the same thing. Close. Close. Different, different David different. from the freaky... Exactly. Freaky horror Different people that will never be brought up in a, a certain question game. Mm. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, this was the first one I ever saw. A certain question game. That's been the great, greatest way to describe game. that. Uh, no, uh, Mahon Drive was my first David Lynch movie I've, I ever saw. Oh, wow. Um, and I saw it in theaters. Oh, and I saw it on a date. Oh, no, nice. did you have any idea what your did anyone preface you? Here's what David no, Lynch is. No, 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 no. Because we were supposed to see Waking Life and it was oh. sold out. So oh. me and my can't like I think my physics partner, shout out to Zach Tim, we're still friends like on Facebook and we run into each other occasionally. Uh, he we were like, let's go see this movie instead, having no idea what we were getting into. And it was the least comfortable I've ever been. <laughs> I, think I, I think I was traumatized from ever seeing a movie again in a oh, theater God. as a date. Because what, like, what the hell? But I also remember it making me feel so, so physical, like, so viscerally, like, what the, like, like, such an, it, it's almost like I was transported into a different space, which is good, because I was sitting in a room full of guys where you could hear their boners happening, oh. like, <laughs> and I was, like, super, super awkward. The sex scene, yeah. 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 Uh, did, did you ever see uh, the movie The Squid and the Whale, the Noah Baumbach Oh, yeah, film? yeah, exactly. There, there's Blue a Velvet. scene where, yeah, where, what, what Jesse is, Eisenberg. doesn't Eisenberg suggest something like, um... It was like some comedy that was out at the yeah. same year. Uh, it was like a police academy film or something. Yeah, and his dad take, wants to take. Like, you know, I, I've heard Blue Velvet is really good. My my teenage son was like fifteen. You should take your fifteen year old girlfriend to see Blue and it's, Velvet. And it's the dad and Anna Paquin and or and the date and and mm. the, that and actually happened Eisenberg. to me. By the way, that happened to me with a guy I used to date from Brooklyn, where me and him and his dad watched Blue Velvet once. <laughs> oh no! Nice. And it was like it was again one of those. Like, you learned the hard way. It was not the sequel to National Velvet. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it definitely has nothing to do with anything. My parents were very cool my parents were almost too cool like in terms of letting me enjoy content and like weird yeah. stuff they were huge Eraserhead fans there you go um, mm. so I might have caught parts of Eraserhead and it's been like oh mom dad come on stop being lame stop watching these weird people like with the chicken fetuses fall from the ceiling <laughs> uh, they were very very cool parents this started me out though I think after I saw Mulholland Drive I got obsessed with watching everything he had done mm -hmm. uh, up until I'd never watched uh, Twin Peaks until I got to college at which point I watched Fire Walk with me first. And then, Interesting. That, that yeah. was my experience, too. And by the way, I think that's the exact perfect way to do it. I think that's probably my favorite film of his, and yeah. I think that it, it works as a something you watch before you see, and as a separate entity. I think, I'm, makes, in, I'm increasingly convinced that's his best film as well. Yeah, it is. It um, really, truly is. I, want to, I think it's interesting, actually, because David Lynch is one of those filmmakers who I think when you discover... David Lynch, I think most like people who get really into cinema have like uh, I was watching movies and then I saw a David Lynch yeah. film. Mm -hmm. So for me, I remember like out in the schoolyard, you would hear like the legends of like the cult movies you really need to see. Mm -hmm. And they gotta see this movie Suspiria. You get to see like something actually stab into a heart. Like it's crazy. And one of the things everyone kept telling me, you gotta see Eraserhead, it will literally like deconstruct your brain with a chainsaw. Yeah. And I remember seeing Eraserhead and maybe being a little too young to be on super wavelength, but then I saw Lost Highway. Mm. And I was like, everything this movie is doing is cool. <laughs> I like everything in this movie and it's really weird and stuff. And I remember very distinctly David Lynch, who typically works in the realm of the surreal, if you're not super yeah. familiar with his work. Um, I remember reading something he said about Lost Highway and it really stuck with me, which is everything in Lost Highway makes sense. I just took out all the clues. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Everything, yeah. everything you would need to put it together, I just took that bit out and showed you the rest. Look, I, I think the best thing you can ever learn from David Lynch is, if, you, if you're not a big David Lynch fan, if you don't get him, there's a 17-minute video on YouTube of him making quinoa that I would highly I, suggest that I you watch. I have on DVD. I haven't actually. seen that. <laughs> because, first of all, it's a, it's a good it's way of grounding. It's an feature on the Inland, Inland Empire DVD. Nice. But, which is, first of all, it's just a good, like, quinoa. It's like a good, you know, how people, like, make videos online or they give you recipes and there's always, like, a little story that they tell you ahead of time. This is the David Lynch version of that. But in terms of, like, if you need a narrative, if you need just, you know, want to learn how to make quinoa... Watch this video and then see what he does with it, and that will help you as like I feel like a good that's a good little like inroad into like how his mm-hmm. mind works. I uh, I I discovered David Lynch via Eraserhead. Um, okay, it was that makes sense. That uh, tracks. You're, you're talking about all the cult movies. I didn't have friends that drove me toward cult movies. We we're just always going to the video store, and they had this section over in the corner that said cult, and I didn't even know what that meant. Yeah, it means it means so like uh, yeah, the, the it's like and, and and it's like Divine is starring in a third of the whole section. And yeah. It's like, and yeah, there's Eraserhead. I'm just sort of fascinated by these kind of extremes of the cinema world. Yeah. So I found Eraserhead. I started reading a lot of uh, David Lynch interviews and how he was just really inarticulate and he was just this kind oh. of so deep within the world of art that He's I just such an wanted to go in there and get lost in there. And He's uh, such an artist. What like, you were true. saying about Lost Highway, about how he's sort of taking out all the clues. Uh, the one interview I remember was he said he always, he felt that a mystery is spoiled by the solution. Yes. Like, why spoil a good mystery by offering an explanation to yeah. anything? And, yeah, I'm watching his films. It's like, he, what he just described about being lost inside of a mystery is always much more interesting than constructing, like, a story around it. it. But that, but and that leads directly into why he wanted to get back into TV right. after mm-hmm. Twin Peaks. Although, to be fair, that's why Twin Peaks, like, ended up getting canceled, because they wanted him to end the mystery. They wanted him to yeah, solve, solve a mystery. Something. To be fair, the actual episode in which they reveal who killed Laura Palmer, which, if you watch the movie yeah, first, yeah. you'd know, but it, the episode when that is revealed is one of the scariest episodes it's so of television. Scar- scariest oh, yeah, episodes. It's one of the, because it, the episode's just going along, like, it, normal, it, and then the last ten minutes are the worst nightmare you've ever had. Yeah, no, and by the way... Robert... I mean, yeah. oh my God! I mean, the, <laughs> that in the last episode, you know. But that's, but th- that being said, you know, the, I think the only great profile that's ever come out about him was when David Foster Wallace got on set of Lost oh, Highway yeah, yeah. and did this huge deconstruction of him. I think before and after, and probably after, he was like, "I'm never letting anyone get that close to my mental state again," because mm. you know he, he had this great line: "David Lynch makes the terrifying mundane and the mundane terrifying." Yeah, and that's never left my head because that <laughs> is a hundred percent what he is. But also the idea that Lost Highway is actually about the OJ trial. Like and that sort of answer to that yeah. question probably is is something that David Lynch said and now he's like regrets ever saying it because it provides a <laughs> definitive answer. If you look through Lost Highway through the gaze of this is a man who thinks he's innocent. Like how can the public perceive you as innocent and guilty at the same time? How can you be both this and that? Yeah. You so know? literally made you and into two people. Which is yeah. weird though, actually in retrospect. I mean, how could he have known? But that it actually also stars Robert Blake. Oh my God, that was amazing. <laughs> which, it really just ties that in together yeah. in this weird cosmic way. One of my favorite um, critics of all time on the East Coast. I think you guys would really love uh, Sean T. Collins has written a piece for the outline about just that one scene deconstructing the most scary scene in in. in in movie well, history this is the mm. scene in, in Lost Highway yes. where uh, the, Robert Blake is, is the mis- not your home. mystery man we've, is we've met before yeah. at yeah. your house yeah, I'm, I'm there, there right now, now. Me a call, call me yeah. he's like, yeah. he starts laughing uh, he goes and he did this whole piece about why that's so terrifying and why these, these images of, of something out of place in a normal structured environment mm. are so disturbing mm. but anyway yes yeah. so I want to talk a little bit about mm. like how we got 
David Lynch in television in the first place before we get to Mulholland yes, Drive. Yes, please. Because what happened was around the 1980s, we started seeing an influx of feature filmmakers getting interested in television. And perhaps most famously, we had Michael Mann uh, creating Miami Vice, mm-hmm. which was uh, like there were a lot of cop shows. There had been for many, many decades, but now it was cinematic. Now there were really unusual music choices. Mm-hmm. It felt like there was a real guiding personality behind a show mm-hmm. beyond merely the characters. Which is ironic because Miami Vice is seen as just an aesthetic monster now. I know. It's just like the, the, the aqua and the pink and the shirts. And the yeah. Don Johnson. Yeah. And Don Johnson. Yeah. yeah. Um, by the way, that movie, yeah. Miami Vice, underrated. Really? Yeah, I mean, Miami Vice really movie good. is pretty good. 21, yeah. I mean, 21 Jump Street, one of the most underrated movies also, in terms of like the, a top comedy. Very different animal, but yeah. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. Um... Mm-hmm. So uh, David Lynch uh, came around in the late 80s, having had sort of mixed success in Hollywood, and co-created a show that combined a murder mystery with a TV soap opera with whatever random shit he had in his head that day. Well, and it was like in a, in a, like literally a, a procedural, a cop procedural, which, yeah. is, you know, which is why I think it worked for as long as it did, probably. And it was well, not I episodic, think, which was very unusual. people kind of latched onto it was the procedural part. The procedural, they, they, absolutely. They thought the mystery and the deconstruction was... Yeah. Interesting, especially because there's there's like a scene in Twin Peaks early on when uh, Dale Cooper is like throwing rocks at Very first oh, yeah. and that's how he's getting inspiration and for who the killer was. Wasn't the same time that Northern Exposure was on, which was a very similar kind of like weird, dete- you know, like a, a sort woodsy, of like, yeah. Yeah, woodsy, folksy, like folksy Americana Fargo-y. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, look at all the kooky people who live in this exactly. town. Exactly. Except now there's a murder mission. We're going to find out half of those people are monsters. Yes. Um, so. David Lynch kind of like recreated his career all of a sudden. He went from being this art house filmmaker who did Blue Velvet, which was very well respected, and Eraserhead, and which was well, very weird, and Dune, which everyone's embarrassed by, including David Lynch. Well, he wanted to make Star Wars. <laughs> well, he didn't actually. He was offered Star Wars. Oh, I thought he. Had, I thought he he got rejected from Star well, Wars. No, he, oh no, he, he took a meeting away. and he had no interest. There's a really wonderful interview with him, uh, just talking about how he was offered Return of the Jedi. Oh my God, and they, Return of the Jedi. And George Lucas like took him in, and uh, and it's. It's hilarious because David Lynch is like, I don't understand any of this. He showed me a thing called a Wookiee. Oh my god! What is a Wookiee? And then we went to a restaurant where they had nothing but salad. And <laughs> well, I, I, don't, I love Whitney's I, David Lynch well, impression. I was going to say, I, I don't, I don't want to get too far off topic, but uh, Eli Roth used to be David Lynch's assistant running his website in the '90s, and he oh, had right. this. I've talked to him once. He has this great story about Marlon Brando coming over to David Lynch's house to oh, trade gosh. artwork. And at the end of the day, I can't do how Eli did Marlon Brando, but at the end of the day, Marlon Brando's being walked to his car, and Eli's like, how'd it go? And he goes, that guy's just too, that guy's too fucking weird for me. Sorry, no, no. <laughs> and then he goes back in, and David Lynch goes, I don't know what's wrong with that man, but I never want to see him back in my house again. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, now I want to see a walk and talk film yes. about the conversation well, between Brando and David Lynch. Correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't David Lynch's roommate in college Jay Giles? It might have been. Yeah, I think so. In and Boston? then he kicked Jay Giles out for being for too being weird. Too weird, yeah. yeah. That's a story I've heard. Well, that's yeah, David, David Lynch was like a weirdly, he was like a weird jock with anxiety issues. I saw his movie about art, or what was it called? Like, uh, the Art Life. The Art Life. He was like a weird jock with anxiety issues. The, the imagery that I have of him is getting to a place and being like, you know, being in college, whatever, the first time, the dorm room, and then he found himself stuck and unable to leave the room, and, like, all he had was this transistor radio that was slowly running out of batteries, <laughs> and he was having, like, a, you know, a panic attack. The light like, was flickering. Yeah, you know, but, like, a days or weeks long where he just felt stuck, like, and I've had those those kind of anxiety attacks where you feel stuck, and, like, literally the one thing is just this, gar- like, increasingly garbled thing. It's this thing he's holding on to while stuck in this chair, feeling like he can't move. It's this, like, radio that's slowly losing battery. Oh, my God. Oh, get much more Lynchian than that. Well, I think that's... That is, that is, that's, yeah. that's his, but the, you know. 
the 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 stars just somehow aligned. He made Eraserhead. He made it like over the course of many years using AFI money, and then just sort of scraped up the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, uh, stars aligned probably is not how came, he felt uh, about it. Came out in the late '70s. Uh, Mel Brooks saw it and really loved it, and funded his next film, The Elephant Man. Then yeah. he was finally offered Return of the Jedi. He turned it down. He made Dune instead. For my money, Dune is the better film, but I'm the only one who feels that way. I actually, uh, there's a lot I like me. about. There's <laughs> a lot. Don't, don't at me. There's a lot I like about David Lynch's yeah. Dune, but there, that's some, from someone who's never read the books. Uh, well, I, have, I read the book after uh, I saw the movie. Yeah. And I so many people that, that have issues with David Lynch. First of all, I don't believe a lot of our generation, do, like my generation, like the millennial generation, has much issues with David Lynch's Dune because David Lynch is David Lynch, and we consider him awesome and blah blah. Mm. You know, I, you, you I, weren't around for the disappointment of Dune, right? No, of course, first came yeah. out. And yeah. I'm, we don't, we haven't read Dune. A lot yeah. of us, you know, like mm-hmm. it's like we're really psyched for this June, Dune reboot, but like we're. I mean, my you're psyched because it's Denis Villeneuve. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm excited for the pain box. We're excited for all the kitsch of it and all the weirdness of it. Like yeah, we're on yeah. board. Yeah, but um, but, uh, yeah, but yeah, uh, Elephant Man was a big hit. It was up for a couple Oscars. Uh, the one Lynch I haven't seen. Yeah, he, it's but, really good. But uh, Dune was such a disappointment. He decided to sort of like Kubrick after Spartacus mm-hmm. decided to sort of go away from the Hollywood system. He decided to make something a little more intimate. A couple of years later, with Blue Velvet, oh mm-hmm. my god, that was a big indie hit. And then when he made Wild at Heart, that was this huge oh. bomb. Like, or, oh my god, uh, excuse, explode! Not a bomb, like an explosion in the art community. Everybody loved it. Sounds like his second favorite movie. The, it and it came out while Twin Peaks was still a thing. Yeah, oh so, my god. so yeah. he was actually yeah. Twin Peaks was this big hit. So he was this peak gigantic cage. peak Dern, yeah, peak the bow, peak everything. Pop darling for a while. It was really weird to think that David. David Lynch was like the pinnacle of pop entertainment. You know, now it's someone like Kevin Feige. Oh, can I be honest? Time, uh, it, like never, it never seemed that weird to me. And, and, and again, right. going back to a, a quiz show that you might have heard of, I, yeah. I'm just like, how is that not a thing? How is yeah. that not its own thing? It's its own world. Mm. It's spun off. It's it's inspired so many things. Yeah. yeah. We think about who's popular right now, Lord Dern, like Nick yeah. Cage. Like, mm. he he's the guy who brought us... I like, them, to, yeah. I like to think that Laura Dern's Oscar was a make good for Inland Empire. I know. That's well, nice. well, not Inland Empire. That's Inland the one I've never great. seen. Yeah. Oh, well. I need to get around to it. It's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one, but. Three hours and 15 But I like it. I like David Lynch, though. Like, I've never seen David Lynch in my didn't like. You know what? Uh, what he did in that that impressed me, and nothing else about it impressed me, is that he was one of those first people that were like, let's move away from using uh, celluloid and let's try something new. Let's experiment and do yeah. like digital. Mm-hmm. So that's well, what that was. He was interviewed. We talked about this on another podcast mm-hmm. recently. He was interviewed in a film called Side by Side. Yes. A Keanu Reeves documentary that Keanu Reeves directed. And uh, talking about sort of celluloid, the actual physical celluloid, film strips yeah. and sort of its history and filmmakers who love it and why it's going away. It was made at a time when a lot of theaters were moving to digital projection and a lot of filmmakers yeah. were moving to digital shooting and a lot of old world cinema snobs were right. a little bit worried about the future of celluloid and what couldn't what, what we were losing in yeah. the move and he talked to David Lynch who was if you've seen Lost Highway it's one of the most beautifully photographed films you've ever oh my seen God. The and in the music it I plays know. with yeah just sort of composition and darkness and little streaks of light that's you, not something you, you guys do like, on cellular you guys like one, on one time in, you like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because of the driving uh, try out a little movie called Mulholland Drive or Lost Highway yeah. Yeah. <laughs> driving or like it amazes me that Lost Highway was a critical like bomb when it oh, came out I, like everyone hated that. it uh, yeah I, I, I I'd, I'm sorry I think it's genius David Lynch had a rough mid 90s where like after Twin Peaks kind of petered out and everyone kind of blamed him for it, yeah. but then they made the he made the Twin Peaks movie, which from what I understand wasn't well received. Oh, I know no, people it hated was, it. And what people yeah. wanted more of the kitsch, they didn't want to like delve no, into the horror the actor, of Laura Palmer. They also didn't want the, none of the actors. Like most of the actors didn't return. They had to you yeah. know hire another. Uh, they had hire another. Um, what's her name? The uh, best Laura, friend, uh, that, Boyle. Laura Boyle. Laura Boyle. Like Boyle. a Moira Kelly to replace her. That's still that's still weird. Yeah, that's one thing. That's you want to talk about Twin Peaks and like you literally just have a meditation on like like literally 
of, of rape, rape, incest, and the idea, uh, the idea of a very horrifying family dynamic. The way that Hereditary would kind of rub me the wrong way when I first saw it in theater, because I was like, this is not a horror film, this is an upsetting film. <laughs> yeah. 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 Walk With Me is a very upsetting film, but it was based on the IP of this other thing that you had just watched. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, let's... The other thing that David Lynch did in the mid-90s, which we've already covered, but we covered it a long time ago, and you actually wanted to cover it. I this, wanted to do this one. Which was, uh, he did a sitcom called On the Air, which yes. was about like 1950s television, mm-hmm. and it had a lot of his stock players in it, and if you've never seen On the Air... You can't. You can't, but you can... We've, we found a copy, there's, like, you can track it down, but a, like... There's a VHS. I want to give, yeah. Can I give a sh- shout out to Jude's Dickey, who's a, a one of my Twitter followers, one of my earliest Twitter followers, and way before video drew or anything. He sent me a, an on the air like DVD that he had like burned and like yeah. made all the cover art himself. Nice. And it's I still have it, even though all these moves. And I'm just like, people just know that's my brand. I keep waiting for like Criterion to release on the air because I mean, it is genuinely hilarious. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is. It's a genuinely great show, and I'm really glad we did it. And I'm but, sorry, uh, we, I'm sorry we did it so long before we met you. Yeah, oh, guys, it's okay. Yeah. Mahon, if I was saying if 16, 17 year old like Baby Drew could come see what I was doing right now, she would be wicked. <laughs> anyway, uh, he, he did Straight Story in the well, late yeah, 90s, okay, which so was Lost Highway. Then he did Straight Story, which was this weird thing, a G-rated film he did for Disney. Yeah, it's and great. it's great. It's, but a great it's still, movie. It's, it's just still weird. A David Lynch film, yeah. and uh, and then he decided to go back to television. And mm-hmm. the idea he had was an idea he had originally this had for Twin Peaks. Yeah, around 2000, Because, yeah, there's something something important about that date that's that's interesting. But uh, he, originally, they had an idea for a spinoff of Twin Peaks, which would have followed Sherilyn Fenn's character, Audrey Horn, as she made her trip to Hollywood and tried to make it as a big actor slash model. That ended up not getting off the ground because Twin Peaks dwindled in popularity. Um, But... The idea stuck around, and so he decided to revisit what if we deal with Hollywood in sort of a Twin Peaksy way, in my usual dream logic-y kind of nightmareville, but full of kooky characters kind of way. Well, what, that, what does Hollywood look like to David Lynch? Basically, and so he called it Mulholland Drive, and he pitched it to ABC. ABC. Because he had worked for Disney already. So yeah. yeah, and so they, they greenlit a pilot. Pilot was going to be about ninety minutes long, and apparently the story goes that the executive in charge of deciding whether or not to move forward with it watched it at six a.m. from across the room with the volume turned down while he ate breakfast and did other work. Decided it was boring and decided not to do it. Well, if, well, that, if I want a perfect. A, that should be a scene, isn't that a scene where they're a little like Adam Adam Kasher? Like, what's this? Is that the fuck? Is that a Justin Theroux? It is. Yeah, Adam Kasher. That's literally a scene out of that. Like, oh yeah, it's a scene also, out of and drive. If, if you're an executive and you're concerned about, you know, is something going to grab you while you're doing other things around the house? That's a good way to test that out. Yes, it theoretically, is. yes. And that's how, by the way, that's how Roger Ailes and a bunch of, uh, I know, like the NBC presidents. That's how they decide whether anchors are good or not. They will watch them with the sound off while doing other things. So this person grabbed me dynamically. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but I'm not going uh, to take any advice from Roger Ailes. Then. No, yeah, thank but, you very much. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's that's the old model of doing things. Now mm. we're in a much more nuanced time period. Yeah. So so guys, so yeah, Mulholland Drive. By by the way, is a pilot. We like let's just establish that that yes. is a, that is a it television was, pilot. Yeah, we, we they, he added some on. extra footage later on after ABC passed on it. They get he got a few million dollars from uh, mm-hmm. European can, film company. You can see where he tacked it on. Oh yeah, yeah. It, plus, yeah. gave him some more money. For it's, completion bonds. It's very clearly like the last like twenty five minutes of the, the movie, box, and then you're into like you're, you're in, in the, the future coast, film. Yeah. And it, the, the uh, photography, strangely enough, matches oh, pretty well throughout. Oh my goodness, a Sirion. <laughs> uh, I think you said seriously, and so Siri thought, <laughs> yeah. Siri yeah. thought you wanted them to look up something about Mulholland Hey, Drive. Siri, you know. Um, no. No, no. I was going to say, though, um, <laughs> but, no, no, but to backing up a second, um, well, maybe we should 
preface this by saying that Twin Peaks itself was, but like the original Twin Peaks pilot, like David Lynch, I don't know if a lot of directors do this when they create a TV pilot, he created a version that if in case like ABC didn't pick it up, he was going to sell it overseas as a movie. So he, oh, yeah, he made an yeah. original pilot of where Twin Peaks well, ends as a movie. A, there's an edit of, yeah. and you, you could get it here in the States yeah. for a while. In fact, for a long time, the only way to get Twin Peaks on video yes. was that movie. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it ends with Bob in the basement. They find Bob. He's mm-hmm. a janitor, and he killed Laura Palmer. It's like, and the first, it's like an, an edit between the first, second, and sixth episode. No, that- no, 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 no. That's that's totally. They 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 took footage from the pilot that they edited, reshot, and they spread it out over the series. Yeah. But actually, so what happened was they filmed the pilot, and like a lot of pilots that are longer, there was a thought of if this doesn't work as a series, we have a backdoor movie that can mm. just be a standalone. Has that happened a lot? Like, oh yeah. Is that- we review a lot of those. Yeah, oh okay. We, that's we review pilots, but yeah, you look at them up on IMDb and it says TV movie because that's the way they ended up. What a weird failing upward, though. You would think yeah. that like TV yeah. is like the down step, but it turns out like a lot of these pilots and it can be movies. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's true. But the thing with uh, Twin Peaks is that it wouldn't really work as a standalone movie because there's no solution to the mystery, so they had to shoot an additional thing for the mystery. The part that, if you've never seen the uh, extended pilot of Twin Peaks, what happens is they're in the hospital, they're investigating the Laura Palmer's death, and then all of, like... The one-armed man. The one-armed man shows up and leads him to the basement, and then a lot of the stuff from Dale Cooper's dream, which I think is at the end of episode two? Ah, yes. uh, A lot of the stuff from that dream was taken from this unused ending, but rather than have this person just lay out everything that happened... They had Bob. He, they had well. They had Bob. They added a couple of things. They Bob's cut the out. They cut yeah. out some dialogue so that it wasn't as clear cut. And instead, that gave that was a vision that gave Dale clues that would lead to more later on. Oh, so and you're saying in the, in the actual show, yeah. But, yeah. but in the pilot, as if this was a movie, the ending of Twin Peaks was Bob was the janitor who worked at Laura Palmer's school and had murdered her. Mm. I mean, like that. that Basically, was the, that's yeah. It. yeah. Now, this movie, I think it's interesting because what they did was, okay, this is going to be a movie now. Let's add uh, 20 more minutes. It's, it's basically a, an easy way to think about it is everything from when the, she opens the puzzle box or mm-hmm. the, the yeah. green or blue box um, Diamond Watts does. Everything post that is what they added on to make the movie make sense, yeah. which is hilarious because it, it really takes a lot of like thinking to even get to how that makes sense and to think that that's his solution. <laughs> well, that, it, that, he, it makes sense, but it's still like a mind trip, and it he, takes a he lot. Can, he mm-hmm. concluded the TV story yeah. and then had the characters do the Silencio sequence, which is one of my favorite sequences of the 2000s. Oh, wait, that was that uh, was not in the pilot? That was not in the pilot. Oh, my God, my favorite, move, my favorite and, moment and of any then, movie. And then there was a dream sequence where he completely reworked the identities of all of the characters almost identically to the way he did in Lost Highway. Yes. Where the characters kind of swap identity. Well, no, to the well, extent that Lost Highway, if you watch it back-to-back, kind of feels like a rough draft for Mulholland Drive. Wait, wait, wait but uh, this is 16-year-old Drew going, well, actually. <laughs> well, actually, no, it's it's more the lesbian revenge fantasy. That's Everything that she had, that Naomi Watts had experienced before was her dream. Right. But it, well, well that's, it wasn't, that's it wasn't what, a dream up until that point when they reworked it. Yeah, they decided after saying, the fact uh, it was going to be a dream, uh, which is diegetically. Not un- yeah, diegetically. But, well, but here's the thing, though. In David Lynch, diegetic isn't even diegetic. Again, if you're unfamiliar with the term diegetic, we've explained it before. But what um, they experience in the world of the film. Yeah, exactly. If, it's, if like the people in the film can experience it, it's diegetic. If only the audience can experience it, like the musical score or the credits or something, well, it's let, non-diegetic. Let, well, let's walk 
through this a little bit, and because yeah. I, I really do think it adds up perfectly, which is that mm. everything that you see that seems like a side character, which uh, mm. like was supposed to be a character that they spun out, everyone from like the guy at Winkies to mm-hmm. like the the nameplate of everyone. When she wakes, when she quote unquote, when Naomi Watts wakes up and find you find out that she's put a hit out on her girlfriend who was mm. who was off with this director Adam uh, Kesher and who had you know kind of screwed her over and she'd come to Hollywood to be this big star, which yeah. in her dreams she was so talented. You know she has that audition scene. Yeah. But you find out that she wakes up from this life and and it, this is not well, what happened and it's it's almost like her dream was a premonition because she sees herself shot in bed. Well, let's let's uh, yeah. let's let's walk through yeah, it, okay. like kind of organically. So, it, uh, mm-hmm. Ball on Drive opens with first off, we see a weird surreal vision of a jitterbug contest. Yes, which we won't find out what that means until much much later. Yes. Then there's this really cool shot of just like a POV of like a head hitting a pillow. Yeah. And then boom, Mulholland Drive. It's a dream. It's a that they are telling you it's like a dream. Uh, then we're cut to a limousine. Chris would be so proud. Mm-hmm. A limousine with Laura Allen Haring. Uh, 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 she's from uh, John Travolta's wife from uh, from Punisher. Yeah, that's yeah. where everyone knows her from. Is that a thing? Apparently, shout out to Robert Rocker. It is a thing. That's a thing. No, no. I mean, I know that's a thing, but it's weird that that's what people know her from now. I didn't well, know she was I, in anything I else. From, I, I thought know she was from Mexican... uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night Part Three. Better watch out. I thought yeah. she was a Mexican yeah. telenovela star. And she, I think she is. She oh. is. She'd actually been working a really long time before she did Mulholland Drive. Yeah, that's what I remember. Uh, Naomi Watts was a struggling actor, and she had done other stuff. She Tank had people, Girl. Tank Girl. She's wonderful in Tank girl but she was actually struggling so much that when after Mulholland Drive oh, was yeah, shot right. the original pilot she, her health insurance had run out and she couldn't afford her apartment and she was ready to move back to Australia oh, and God. then her good friend Nicole Kidman who really could have floated her a couple of bucks yeah. uh, so recommended that she stick around until and see how Mulholland Drive did and so yeah. she did and it's is good because Mulholland Drive is the movie that made her career right into the ring like yeah yeah, yeah no like she she she, she, she used it pretty well. She also did a horror movie that would have come out the same year as The Ring, but ended up going straight to TV, yeah. called The Lift, where she was investigating a haunted cyborg elevator that was killing people in a skyrise. By the way, I love that. Can yeah. we, is, there, is there a way to find that movie? I have that movie. I can loan you that movie <laughs> oh sometime. My God. It's I'm, the weirdest fucking thing. I'm, I'm looking up Laura Herring here. She was in The Forbidden Dance. Yep. Not Lombada, but The Forbidden that, Dance. A good movie. That and, was a good and movie. She, and she was also a, a, a model and beauty pageant yeah. queen but, for a while. But, but, but let's, like, let's, because this movie is so hard to break down because it's a David Lynch movie. Let's 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 like try to figure out like you know. I'm, I'm trying to I'm know. trying to keep the basic narrative yeah, through yeah, lines yeah, yeah, really. because there there are a lot of asides, but it's actually a relatively straight line. Yes, for exactly. That's my thing. So we meet Laura Allen, uh, Laura Haring. She's in the back of a limousine. We don't know who she is. There it looks like she's about to be murdered. There is a car accident. She has amnesia and she wanders off right. into Hollywood. She's obviously rich and famous. She's been hijacked, but she doesn't know she's. Been thought, and she's not so famous that people would recognize her. Though, but she's been like a, she thought they were driving her somewhere and she goes why have you stopped yeah. and they turn around they have guns exactly yeah so there's a car accident those guys die she wanders off and has amnesia she stumbles into uh the apartment that a young ingenue is moving into she played by naomi watts she is from deep river canada mm-hmm. and she is just all bubbly and happy and hollywood's oh, gonna be so cool she gets off the airplane and she's talking to these old people because mm-hmm. you know that's how much of like a like a middle yeah. america person she is she's like oh i'm so happy to be here and these old people are so happy to have talked to her oh and they're God. smiling. They can't even stop smiling. They can't stop smiling. I've already got an audition and I've been here one oh, day. Oh, it's so great, honey. Yeah, so she, so she gets to this apartment. I, finds I, this can't, I can't drive past Havenhurst without hearing her pronounce it. Like 2363 Havenhurst. Yes. Like yeah. this really kind of 
Oh, and she's Shut. almost and, a cheerleader. And, yeah. oh, and by the way, you've already you're being introduced by by this point, even from her POV. All these interesting LA characters, like the person who runs the ground. She's staying at her aunt's house while yeah. her aunt is elsewhere, so she can make it. She's run into this woman. Um, I, I believe this woman's last movie was her name Cookie or Me? Coco. 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 Yeah. Coco. She's like, Miller, yeah. yeah, Coco. Yeah, Anne Miller in her last movie. Yeah. Anne Miller in her last movie. She goes, oh, you know, she has got all these Hollywood stories. She's got the little doggy. Oh, you know, honey, she's gonna play the kind of nosy. The nosy neighbor character. Yeah, you're picturing where that's going to go. Yeah. Um, so she moves. She goes into, it's her aunt's apartment. I guess her aunt is on vacation or yep. moved away. She's going to stay at this apartment for a while. And there's Laura Haring. She is taking a shower. Mm-hmm. Quite randy. Mm-hmm. And uh, she thinks that this must be a friend of her aunt's. She finds out rather late that she's not. But by this point, she's already sort of like started taking care of her and mm-hmm. her head wound. And they've developed a bit of a rapport. And she decides she- to help this amnesiac figure out who she is. Yeah. And, and because of the bubbliness of Betty, the, the yeah. Naomi Watts character, it's like it's like a Nancy Drew story for yeah. a second. These these two plucky young adventurers are going to go solve a well, mystery. And they're blonde and a brunette, so they got this Betty Veronica thing but, going. But there's also like, there's like a film noir thing where it's like, it's but it's sort of like that girl, it's, it's like a very interesting take on this where it's sort of like, you can tell that Laura Haring, she's a vixen, she's in trouble, mm. she's like the dark, the so, you know. She the picks a name and who does she pick? She picks Rita Hayworth because, because she saw a picture pisser. of Gilda. Mm. Yeah, on the which yeah. Is, Which Gilda was the femme fatale. Yeah, but you know, and, and but she's the opposite. I don't even know that, uh, what's the name of Naomi Watts' character? Betty? Betty. Yeah, yeah. Be- I mean, the perfect name. Betty, like I don't think Betty would like know anything about femme fatales. Like she's yeah. walking into like a Philip Marlowe story of which she's just like, hey, what's up? What's up, guys? So, yeah. Several of my lesbian friends <laughs> admitted to having the biggest crush on not Naomi Watts, but Betty specifically. Oh, I mean, ah, like right. that really kind of bubbly, happy blonde and character. And that fits like, into later, I think, because that's her projection yeah, yeah. of her best. Stuff. That's important. Um, later. Yeah. Okay, um, so eventually they're gonna go off their own things, but there's actually meanwhile there's meanwhile, a the film director played by Justin Theroux. Uh, Justin Theroux is uh, he's second role. After it was, I think it was American Psycho. Then this, he was a bouncer before that. Um, I think well, this would have come out Justin around Thoreau the same. Was a bouncer? Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. a New York bouncer. Yeah. Well, he's cut. If you remember him from Charlie's Angels too. Well, um, here's oh, the thing that because uh, this movie I believe came out in 2001. 2001, uh, yeah. yeah. You know why? But it was shot in 99. It was shot in 99. 2001 because this was the first year that um, DVD sales started outpacing VHS sales, and it oh. happens to be the year that Memento, Donnie Darko, mm. and Mulholland Drive all came out. And I have a, I have a real theory. It's because people were like had an interest in watching films out of order. David Lynch, however, was like, "Screw you guys! You can only watch this." Like there was no chapters on Mulholland yeah, yeah, Drive DVD. Yeah, very anti that. Yeah. Um, uh, the home video, interestingly enough, there's full frontal nudity in the film. If you get a VHS or one of the early DVDs, it's censored. Uh, by There's David Lynch's request. Yeah, well, da- he, David Lynch asked be- uh, because he realized he was actually smart enough to realize that you know in early 2000s on the internet these like Mr. Skin style websites yeah. were getting big. Yeah, and, and they were going to take screen grabs. Were taken out of context, and people are just yeah. putting these. Screen and he grabs didn't want Laura websites. Laura Haring to be just treated like, like, like that. that. So yeah, if, if if you watch, there's actually like a block of darkness over, over her. her uh, the, the 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 breasts are still visible, but mm. any anything like from the waist down <laughs> is blurred out, and you couldn't even tell. Honestly, it's uh, not. It, it was pretty it's obvious. It's, it's, it's a square just, block. No, no, no. The DVD I watched it. I think they might have fixed it a little bit. Wait, wait, that. wait bad. instead of like going to the, the B plot of Adam right now, should mm. we just maybe sort of finish up why like the Betty like if she's in town, she's doing this audition because I think okay. that'll make it a little That's bit fine. more interesting to, uh, to, or a little bit more cohesive narratively. So Betty, while she's solving this mystery of trying to figure out who this chick is, is also in town for her very first Hollywood audition, Yay. and we see her practicing lines for a scene like that she's going to do where she's like auditioning for a TV movie or something mm-hmm. like that about some teenager who's, who's sleeping like, with her father's best friend. 
friend. And they're doing the line, and the line rings. She's like, like you're oh, playing no. a dangerous game. You're playing a dangerous stuff, game. Right? Oh, get away from me, Mr. Yeah. Batman. And, like, Laura's just kind of reading this like as, as, as like, someone with a head wound. Uh, you know, like, she's sort of like, but no, I can't. And, uh, and this plays into later, because by the time it comes to the audition, and can we, can we go to that? Yeah. I mean, like, by the time it gets to the audition, there's so much that is getting changed, and it's changing about Betty because of the world that she's being introduced to via this, like, you know, femme fatale, that she goes in and delivers the craziest freaking audition you've ever seen in my life. But good. It's a good audition, audition. but she it's reads nuts. It. She reads everything. You know when people say, do you want to do, you want to do this take another way? Can I try it another way? This is that to the nth teams. Suddenly she's, you know, this. she's in Hollywood for the first time. She's suddenly realizing that she's going to be treated like a piece of meat during the audition. So this guy's like, okay, honey, like, let's do it. So she just he, he switches. Wants, he wants to like kiss her. Yeah, he's well, like, I was like, when's he gonna make it real close? Yeah, let's do it close. Okay? And so and she, she just... does that. She leans. She just leans in. And she starts going. Oh, my dad's gonna be so angry. <laughs> oh, he's gonna kill us. And she starts kissing around his mouth. And it's like the way this guy's face. I was trying to it's think about like, like how good of an actor this guy is in real life. That he's just like. You know, it's just it's it's such an amazing scene. Well, it's, a, it's it, an amazing scene for Naomi Watts because at this point in the movie, if you haven't seen Naomi Watts in anything, and most people hadn't. Yeah. You might not know if she's a good actor or not. Yeah. Because Betty is such a bizarre, kind of out of it character. She doesn't really feel like she belongs in the 1950s, world. 1950s, yeah, yeah, she's you, out of place. It feel, this could be like a comedy performance. And then you realize that that's one aspect of her. And then this weird femme fatale thing she does in this, it's such a turn on a dime and such a completely different performance. And David Lynch doesn't even cut away in oh, that no. scene. It's just like really tight. And it tells you something about her. It tells yeah. you something about her it because tells- you're like, it's, that's scary that she has that in her that you don't know why she's done she it. She has a sexual power in her that is not, and you would never expect. And it's cunning and the moment it's over, hey, like, what's yeah. up? It's just back to her. There's something that is something that's pathological. There's something wrong with her is what we realized about Betty. it's brilliant work yeah. on Naomi Watts' part of it. Oh my God. I mean, you've watched the scene. I remember watching that scene and like taking notes. Yeah. Okay. Okay, then what do you do? Then what do you do? Okay. She's uncanny. Yeah. Um, so that leads her to uh, the casting agents. Just like, well, she's amazing. Let's see if we can cast her in this other thing. Which brings us back to... Justin Theroux. Now, Justin Theroux is the director of some kind of 1950s biopic throwback We've been watching movie. him do stuff like this entire time and yeah. some bad stuff has been happening. He wears all black and he carries a putter. Yes. Yep. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. It's, and wears these glasses. I mean, like, first of all, he was one of my first high school crushes, I think. Was I Adam Kesher. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I buy that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, but he's, he, he's a director, he believes in his artistic vision, and then he's taking a meeting, and he, I guess the star of his movie left, they need a new star, they need to recast, and Dan Hidea and Angelo Badalamenti, who actually yeah. does the scores yeah. for almost all of David Lynch's work, uh, they come in and they're acting really weird and they're spitting up their espresso. Oh my god, the espresso scene. Oh, so gosh, gross. It, it gives you that sense too. A, that how much David Lynch hates creative executives. Uh, he hates it. He hates taking notes. But secondly, the, the sort of weird power that they have in Hollywood. I mean, yeah. no, nothing's ever like this, but just like in a David Lynch world, you, you get the ambiance of what that feels like to be in a meeting with somebody who's like, you know, so powerful that like, you know, they don't like this espresso, they're going to spit it up. Spit it onto a And their yeah. hands. And, well, then, and, and then, then when you reveal that that guy is scared of another guy, you know, that this yeah. is all... He, we get to sort of enter David Lynch's head yes. in that. It's like, where is all of the all of these weird decisions coming from? Yes. Yeah. And he imagines it coming from uh, Michael Anderson, yes. who's the man from the other place in Twin Peaks, in yeah. a, in a, like a, a man, the giant man-sized suit. And he's being, and he's in a room, he's in a glass yeah, he's, room he's with a microphone. He's in this like glass sealed off, hermetically sealed 
room and somebody communicates him with a little microphone, that's like the source of all of the Hollywood's was, bad and, ideas. And by the way, all they want is to him to pick this one girl over. Like, don't you don't, don't audition anyone else. We want you to use this actress instead of that one. And you know, that's something that probably happens. I mean, it does happen every single time you go yeah. into Hollywood. Mm. But from like Adam, from a David Lynch's standpoint, that it becomes such a nefarious and and dark. And yeah, almost well, there's demonic two, sort there's, of thing. There's yeah. two distinct things about that. Mm-hmm. First off, we had just seen Naomi Watts' audition, It's Uncanny. Oh, no. No, no, no I'm, talking, yeah. I'm talking about later. Yeah. When we see Naomi Watts' audition, It's Uncanny. And then we see she might audition for this role that because he has been bullied and uh, almost kidnapped and then f- taken to see the weird cowboy. Oh, my God, my favorite scene in the movie. <laughs> okay, but, like, he's threatened and basically just says you have to cast this girl or your career is destroyed. But it's not and Betty, and she's not, no, I don't, not. And she's not auditioning for the, for the main role. I think no, she's no, just she, for the... No, no, so they, they invite her to audition because he's has to, he has to cast everybody. He's the only one who knows he has to cast Melissa George. I think, she, I think they're literally just bringing her in to be like, hey, this is Adam, you should work with him, and it's for a smaller part on the movie. I don't think she's... I was... I just watched it. I could have sworn they were going to bring her in to possibly audition for the lead role. Okay, okay, okay. And because they, what happened was everyone was auditioning for the lead role. Someone comes in and she's obviously amazing. And then do, Melissa do, George do. comes in and she's less amazing, yeah. which is, is a really good study in still, subtle contrast. Still Melissa George. She's still she's fine, but like you can tell that like she's not quite right for what they were looking but he's for. Been, but, but Adam, to this point, has yeah. been bullied. His accounts have been cut off of this mm-hmm. amazing scene where he finds out his wife is cheating on him with Billy Ray Cyrus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and like there's this amazing fight. like Really some comedic... Yeah. <laughs> but basically, he's being... It's like the idea that like once you're blacklisted from Hollywood again, like these things that happen probably on an everyday basis. Mm. But the way that David Lynch is interpreting it is like these people are menacing you. These people are big brother. These mm. people mm. cut off your bank accounts. These people ruin your mm. lives. But they're, they're also these weird intermediaries. Like intermediaries. These, yeah. So they tell him that he's got to go meet a cowboy up at like you know on the top of Mulholland. Well, um, what I love about Justin Theroux's character is he's one of the only characters who's not in a David Lynch film. Yes, that's what I'm saying. He, yeah. he's completely. Befuddled by this, he doesn't weird act like he's a David like, Lynch yeah. film. He doesn't talk in the cadence of a David Lynch film. He's almost yeah. like, "What the hell's going on?" When he, yeah. when he has, he got lost and wandered into a David Lynch story. When he is, <laughs> when he is dealing with those executives, his response is to go outside and bash their car in with a golf cutter, <laughs> which is based on a true story. Jack Nicholson did that once. Really? I mean, I believe it. Yeah. So look, so you know, his funds are cut off. He's being forced to a motel. Like people are threatening his life. He's not only is his bank funds cut off, but his cash isn't good anywhere because the, like Hollywood knows mm, that he yeah. is in trouble. So he's told to go meet a cowboy to go deal with him. Like yeah, uh, a, Hollywood and it, ca- a Hollywood cowboy. It looks like he's wearing a paper doll outfit. Like yes. it doesn't even yeah. look like a costume. And can we remember the best line in Mulholland Drive, which is what the what he what the cowboy asks Adam Crash mm-hmm. to see if he's on board with doing things his way. Mm-hmm. How many drivers does a buggy have? One? One? <laughs> okay, I'm then, driving this well, buggy. I'm driving this buggy, <laughs> and that oh, whole scene is full of my gold. God. <laughs> like, now I want oh you. Oh my to, God! I, I, so there's only. only I want one, you to think about a buggy. I want you to think about a buggy. Okay. Are you actually thinking about it? Or are you just being a smart ass? Yes. It's almost a Coen Brothers. That's also where Lynch comes in with the Coen Brothers. I think a little bit, yeah, like with yeah, this yeah. sort of like mm. ambiance, nuance. They're not quite as menacing, but I don't know. They're, they can get there. He says to Justin Thoreau, "This is happening." You need yeah. to cast this person. And he says, if you do good, you'll see, see me, me once. One. Mm-hmm. one more time. If, if you, you do bad, die. you'll see me twice. I love it. The cowboy so shows more, up two more times, two more times in the times movie. Two more times in the movie, yeah. Oh, so something went wrong. Because there's, yeah. there's a bit, right when they do the, tra- they zoom into the box and they do the transition into the oh. dream. 
he shows up and says, it's time to wake up, little girl. Oh, and that's then her. Then, and then later and on, then later he's in on one shot at the, the party. At the party, you see him pass by in the background. But Which he, means things went wrong. Yeah. Well, of course things went wrong. Yeah. Laura Haring dies. Well, yes, of course. That, that's that's we're, what went we're, wrong. We're skipping ahead a bit, but yes, exactly. But that's exactly what went wrong. Okay, so... I, just, I never realized that before. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. That's it all comes wrong. together. So, so Naomi Watts and Laura Haring, they go off to discover more mysteries. They find out that there's a name that Laura Haring... Diane Selwyn. So they look up Diane Selwyn... They break into her apartment and she's dead and rotting on her bed, yes. which is very, very horrifying for everyone for obvious reasons and not so obvious reasons. And there's, by the way, there's also some stuff that gets discovered and it's innocuous stuff a little bit, but there's a lot of scenes in diners here. Okay, we skipped over. The, I was going to say this for last because I think it's the most important scene in the film. I think it's how she figured out her name was looking at the, the diner waiters. Winkies. Winkies. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is uh, Johnny's Diner on... Uh, uh, Fairfax and Wilshire, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, which was an operational diner, I think, is when this film was being made, yeah. yeah, and then closed shortly thereafter. But it was declared a local landmark, so the building is still there. By the and way, they only can you imagine? For movies. Can you imagine uh, that being like a major like scene of a TV show like that, like the Winkies being a thing? Because that's where oh, she figures. That's what I'm saying. This is where she figures out her name because of the name tag yeah. of the person. Yeah. But the, we've the already waitress, seen Winkies. Yeah. Winkies is like a Denny's. Basically, there's a, it's a chain. We find out there's there's more than one of them, but a lot of people eat at this diner. Right at the beginning of the movie, like after we meet our main characters, all of a sudden we pick, up, we pick up with Patrick Fischler, who if you don't know the name, look Google him up, him. you'll know the face. He's the crooner from Mad Men season two. He's he, a, he's, oh, he's he's in everything. He's in literally everything. He was in Lost. He's got the he's bushy eyebrows guy. Yeah. A snivelly looking bushy eyebrowed man. Uh, he's One, wonderful, reliable character. He's yeah. in a diner and he's with a friend of his and he's, he's just saying, I needed you to come with me to this diner. I had, I had a, dream. a dream about this diner. Where it was basically exactly like this, except you, you were, were over me. The, you were with me. You were standing over there, and then something really horrible happened out back. My God! And then what happens <laughs> is oh my God. the guy the guy gets up to go pay, and he realizes he's standing right where he thought he was in the dream. And so they decide to investigate out back but, to prove but, that but nothing. Pause. Was, but pause real quick. Yeah. You know how people say, "Oh, like it's never interesting to hear other people's dreams." Well, David Lynch makes it interesting. Well, Patrick He's Fischler you, knows how to make well, this interesting. But also, like, to his credit, you, you hear the you hear the ambiance sound that David Lynch does so well. The, the backwards washing, groaning. Noise. Yeah, like the sort of like backward washing of it, and it's going like, and he's going, "I saw you," and you don't even know why this is so scary, but you get that sense of what it feels like to be in a nightmare. Nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong. But like, why? Is everything is also wrong. Everything yeah. is wrong. Everything is wrong. And, and it feels well because he describes the dream, and you hear those noises, and you're already kind of terrified. And then his companion, he's like near by, tears. He's like he's. He's, he's terrified. Like, he's really terrified, and you know, he's really selling that moment. And there was a man back there. So he says something. He, there's nothing, yeah, there's, it doesn't even sound there's something there's scary. Some, there's something back there. But there's his companion back there. says, "Well, why don't we reenact that?" Yeah. And he gets up and he goes to pay. And it's then he's, broad daylight. He, it's, yeah, by the way, it's broad daylight. daylight. He looks over at the guy and he looks really terrified, and he realizes, "Oh shit." Yeah. This this is the nightmare. This is what's happening. This and this now. isn't like oh this is a fake out and he's going to wake up. Mm. This is the this is the scene in the movie. And they show this right at the beginning where they show you that nightmares and reality uh-huh. are are the same. Are the yeah. same. Like and this is a movie in which this is probably the most iconic image of the movie too. Well, people yeah. say, and the big reveal, which I kind of don't want to ruin for you. Oh, please. Just, just can we? Can we? Can we talk about it? It's a, because it's, I think if you say it, it doesn't. Ruin ruin it. It. It's a sparkly hobo is behind a dumpster, and yet it's the most terrifying moment of any any freaking thing that's ever happened in anything. Uh, yeah. Broad daylight. Yeah, sparkly. Uh, yeah. Sparkly. I remember being in a theater saying that for the first time, and everyone lost their shit. There's a screaming mouth in Fire Walk with me that did the same thing, where kind of zoom into somebody's mouth. It's just an effective jump scare. First of all, like, yeah. but it's not that scary of an image. It's not that scary of an idea. But it gives you the idea of what are nightmares? There are things that like like sound silly when you say yeah. them. Like if you had said out loud, "There's a sparkly homeless man 
behind this dumpster. He's going to come mm-hmm. out and like go, bah! Mm-hmm. And by the way, you don't see him die. What you see is the, the guy doesn't attack him. The, the guy comes out, pops out. What's his, uh, the character actor, he faints into his friend's arms. You know, yeah. and the, you hear the other guy calling his name, but it's kind of muffled, almost like he had a heart attack or something. I think he, I think he died from fright. I think yeah. that's what we're supposed to take away from it. Yeah. Oh, I, I thought it was just, he, he sort of was frightened until he passed Oh, I always assumed he died. Uh, I always assumed, like, oh, that's how scary well, it was. Well, it's like Bob. Just... He's like a Bob, or he's like the lumberjack. This this character, this hobo mm-hmm. character, is, is sort of that that evil, that other world yeah, evil. Yeah, yeah, That sort of exists in the real world. And if we're to take Mulholland Drive as a pilot... Yeah, I, that's I, what I'm saying, yeah. We, we would have seen that character again. That I Winkies, assume so. Yeah. That Winkies is like the nexus of hell. Yeah, yeah. 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 We, would, we would keep going um, back to that Winkies. I, and speaking of, like, characters that only show up early in the movie and did not return later, there's um, Robert Forster shows up in one scene. Oh, as my a God. Detective. As a detective who I... He's got one minute of screen time. I know. He's going to follow this mystery. Uh, when Robert Forster sadly passed away, I, I work at the New Beverly Cinema, which is owned by Quentin Tarantino. Uh, weird flex, and but okay. Pardon? <laughs> I, said weird, I said weird flex, but well, okay. No, it's, it's full no, disclosure. I know, I know. I, know, I, I, absolutely I, know. I have to disclose this, but... Um, I know, I know. And by the way, people on Reddit but, are like, wait, I thought that was a bit... Like, I've read, I've read the, the Schmode on Reddit stuff, and people are like, wait, but wait, really? Is Whitney can't... Uh, oh, is it, no, it is? I, I actually work at this theater, and... Uh, mm-hmm. Yo, Robert Forster was famously in Jackie Brown, Tarantino's mm-hmm. movie, and when he passed away, it was this big Robert Forster retrospective. Mm-hmm. And people were baffled that we were showing Mulholland Drive because he's, yeah, he's, he's literally on screen for yeah. 60 seconds. But he's, yeah. he's a, it's a great role. And, and by the way, this is what David Lynch likes to do is take really good character actors and give them like small cop parts, specifically mm-hmm. small well, cop like, parts. He knows, like, he knows. Chris Isaac. Chris Isaac. Isaac and, yeah. Well, that's something Tarantino's good at too. There is no small role in a Tarantino movie. Yeah. Like, everyone gets their bet. I mean, even, who has, who has one scene, maybe? Maybe it might even be one shot in this movie who actually is really great in it. Mm-hmm. Rena Riffle. Who's that? Yeah, who's she, that? Rena Riffle. From, oh, uh, she was in Showgirls. She played Penny. But but who's she? Um, she's she's a prostitute. That's I'm sorry, a sex oh, worker. Sorry. I apologize. She's, she's, I'm okay. training a myself. A sex worker that works uh, uh, next oh, to Pink's. But, yeah. Oh wait. By the way, we've also missed another like little random moment that happened. Uh, but it becomes important when the when the puzzle box flips, which is we see. A uh, hitman. We go up the on yeah. Names, yeah. yeah, we see uh, a hitman. He's going through a book of names, and in, this is also the most Cohen brother thing that's ever happened. Yeah. It's, it's like it's the funniest thing. David it's the funniest Lynch has thing. Ever it's, it's very funny, yeah. but it's it's exactly like a Cohen brothers movie. It's like he's trying to do a hit. The hit goes wrong. He mm. accidentally shoots like a somebody he, in the he, next room. He shoots yeah. somebody in the next room. He hits like the uh, vacuum cleaner, like you know, so the mailbag, and, the, and he's just trying to clean up after his mess. It is a real like it's a real physical comedy bit. But what we're not sure what this guy has to do with anything. He's not going after. As far as we know, he's not going after anyone we've seen before or like seen since. Yeah. But it's important to note because he was probably supposed to be a bigger part of the pilot, and because they do find a way to work his continuum into the into the second half. Or, oh yeah, he's yeah. important later. Yeah. Um, okay, so Naomi Watts and Laura Haring, uh, and they also. Uh, uh, as they investigate things and they find that corpse, and it's like, oh no, corpse! Uh, yeah, they're freaked now. They're also, they also, uh, at some point, they have to go to bed. Yes. They have to go to sleep, you know, like people. Yeah. So they decide to they're so they get, they get yeah. in bed. And Naomi Watts is just like, I didn't sleep on the couch. It's stupid. It's a whole couch. I got a bed here, and there's enough room for two. Oh my God. And Laura Harding is just we like, do, okay, I bet you better get naked. Wow, and this so is the least sexy the, version of what I, happened then. That that's scene. what I'm doing. <laughs> and then they like, get into the like bed, like and they like start smooching, and it's pretty cool. Um, it's you're like doing the version of the Rocky film. Like, it's so <laughs> obvious. Like, oh, it's like a regular Rocky film. At the beginning of his film, Kaboom, there's this scene where it's like, oh, I'm having fantasies about my roommate. Oh, it's warm. Can I get in bed with you, man? Can I get, let's just start kissing, bro? 
this is what was like, this is what was so uncomfortable about it though is that it was so not like hey bro or whatever and it's mm. so not like the first bet you just did it like Betty's first reading of that monologue. I know. <laughs> I know. Basically, it's like this this very like tender thing where they're like we're scared we just saw a dead body like and and Betty's being the caretaker and Betty's like don't worry we'll figure mm. out who you are don't worry they're after you you know blah 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 mm. and they start like you know, holding each other, you know, and it's a very, like, sapphic, you know, it's not at all, like, about boning. It's about, like, this yeah. weird yeah. tenderness well, and this and protection, and, and then it becomes very sexual, and then my date was over that night. Oh. Well, and I love the sweet moment, though, because uh, the Laura Herring character, she's lost her memory. Yeah. She doesn't know her own name. Yeah. And uh, th- there's a bit where they, they, like, are really kind of tentatively drifting toward physicality, and, and Betty says, have you done this? And she says... I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you're like, uh, yeah, you have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and it's also, I think it's worth noting the way Lynch films that scene is it's another like really tight two shot, just like that audition that we saw. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, we got a glimpse of mm-hmm. who Betty really is and how right. significant this really is, her sexuality is. And, and however, like what we see about Betty in this scene is that she's not being predatory. This is really like two babes going in the woods together. And uh, which it feels really, it feels real. It feels, it feels like real, because, real. It, because it is. This is her memory of like their very, fr- this is yeah. what the ideal yeah. of the relationship was to have these two sort yeah. of innocents in, meeting. In, in the context of what we learn about yeah. the yeah. We're not there yet, yeah. narratively, but, um, but yeah. Then we get to what I think is the most important scene. Oh God! In Mulholland Drive, oh my God! Silencio number. Teach it in every uh, film class, people, because he <laughs> it is a magic trick in filmmaking. He tells you what he's going to do, and yet you're still and he gives surprised. you the. And I think he, gives he you spells the whole it out. Thesis of of his film slash pilot. Yeah, but uh, it's also a magic trick. Let's yeah. be very clear. What yeah. he produces in, in this scene is a magic trick. So be, so Betty and Rita they go to. They investigate another thread, and no, well, she, she wakes up with she, a nightmare. Rita she wakes, wakes up, up with a nightmare, and she's yelling the word silencio, and then says, "No banda. No, 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 no banda. Silencio." And then she just says, "We need to go somewhere right now. Not, I have a clue, or I know anything about this mystery. Right. Just, we need to go somewhere." They has go she, to. I she think it's the, the Los yet? Angeles theater. Or no, she finds the box at the theater. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Um, no, she had the box in her purse. Yeah, yeah okay, sorry. Box in her sorry. Box. Side quest. Side quest. Yeah. Back on. Back at the blue box. Well, she has a blue key. Uh-huh. I think she finds the box later. I no. think she finds the box at the she, theater. She had the key the whole time. They didn't know what the key was for. She mm-hmm. finds the box at the theater. Yeah, it's underneath uh, the seat, I believe. Yeah. and uh, But yeah, they go to this theater. Oh my and God. It's, what theater is that, by the way? I think it's the Los Angeles Theater downtown. It's, it's in LA. And so this beautiful. is David Lynch very openly saying, here's what Los Angeles is. Oh my God. Oh, theater, that's an interesting take. Because uh, this is about, if somebody comes out and they're playing a trumpet and they let go and the trumpet flies away and the music continues. And, mm-hmm. and this guy and comes out and saying, no Ibanda. No ba- oh, no Ibanda. Everything is, is no recorded. Every, uh, Every, and he this is tape recorded. Everything you are going to see tonight is tape recorded. Mm-hmm. Everything is recorded. There is no band. There is no band. Yeah, and, and yet... It's the most beautiful, heartbreaking illusion you've ever seen. <laughs> right, because then what happens is uh, Rebecca Del Rio, That's she right. gets on stage, um, and you have to understand that the way they, the sleight of hand is also they're looking at each other, they're confused. What mm. You're not really paying attention, even if he's saying there is no band, you're really kind of paying attention to the weirdness of the scene. Mm. You know, there, there's very few people in the audience, they're finding this little box, I mean, people are dressed up very thing, and when Rebecca Del Rio comes out, she looks scared. So this singer comes out, she's got this makeup that's very, uh, you know, almost like a blue, you know, she kind of looks like a... She looks like she just woke up on a couch. She just woke yeah. up on a couch after, like, the coolest rave ever. Yeah. But she kind of <laughs> has that look that um, uh, Isabella Rossellini does in Blue Velvet whenever she sings, which is like, mm. I well, want to be here. Which is also appropriate because she's about to sing a Roy Orbison song. Roy Orbison's song, the most beautiful, haunting rendition of Roy Orbison's crying mm. since last time I was in, what, Gummo? Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, there's two weird-ass mm. movies that love Roy Orbison. So she's singing... The like, you know, 
what's also amazing about this is the echo. Like you hear her sing and you're watching her sing and there's an echo. You can tell like where the theater space if you're mm-hmm. watching with your eyes closed. And she's really selling oh, it too. Oh, she starts crying. Oh, yeah, no drama. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, like, and she's just like, you, you see in her eyes that she's trying to convey mm-hmm. something to specifically these women about mm-hmm. what's going on. Like save me or help or this is a dream. Uh-huh. And then we get to the like part and she swoons and the music continues and they it's drag her off stage yeah. because it was um, always a recording. No. You haven't no. seen Inland Empire. No. Yeah. I did have, I did have, have, you, have you seen Inland Empire? I have. Are you I about to talk? Are you still talking about this scene? Because there's nothing I want to say about this scene before I move on. No, this is going okay, to, this okay, is all right, coming right. back to the scene. Uh, Inland Empire is very much about sort of the mutability and the sacrifices that actors make yes. to become other people. Yes. I think David Lynch is really fascinated with this idea of sort of putting your own identity aside and putting in this imaginary yeah. thing. And I think uh, or, uh, Inland Empire is very much about yes. sort of inserting... And if singing in the rain is Betty, people, then, yeah. like, then, then like what we're dealing with now is like mm-hmm. the inverse of so Betty. I yeah. think he understands that an artist has to kind of essentially die on stage in order to provide this really beautiful art. And I think living in LA, he's seeing a lot of artifice because this is we live Compromise, in LA. That's what yeah. it is. It's about selling an image rather than anything kind of genuine. But oh, I love image, this reading of it. That image is so beautiful and so hypnotic that we're still moved to tears even when we're told right at the beginning that it's mm-hmm. fake. Well, and, and if it's more effect, is it more effective because it is fake? As if that mm-hmm. if that scene had ended and she was saying that's one thing. The fact that it's a trick, and well, we've been told, is... is but at the same time, I don't think... Me, personally, I don't think David Lynch sees a particular difference between reality and fakery. Because mm-hmm. fakery only illuminates our reality and vice versa. Sure. And I think one of the most interesting things that, That's about how I believe. The, I think I believe I, that, too. I think one of the most interesting things about this scene is that uh, Del Rio is lip-syncing the song. Del Rio is also singing it. Yes. And the recording was a recording she made years earlier when she happened to meet David Lynch in yeah. the soundstage. Yeah. And she said, oh, sing something for me. And they happened to record it. And they used that recording years later. They had no idea it would be used in the movie. It's so brilliant. You close because your there's a certain element of fate in yeah. a lot of how David Lynch's Oh, yeah. I was, there. I was there when he yeah. met um, Arvois Simone. It was like in a Noble, no, uh, Barnes & Noble book signing thing. And now he uses Arvois Simone for like most of his stuff. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting thing about that too, I think I agree with you that he doesn't see a difference between like fake and reality. What he does see a difference is in, in, is in creative vision and tampering. Yes, mm. that's what he sees a vision. That's what Adam, even if Adam's a jerk or an asshole, the idea of what's happening to Adam is so much scarier than like anything like else. David Lynch finds that creepy that someone mm. wants to recast his movie. Yeah, exactly. And well, that's yeah. why he always has such problems. That's why Inland Empire was self-funded. That's why yeah. a lot of his things because he could not deal with these notes. What she sees is very threatening it like that is yeah. the erosion and when the puzzle box switches and we find out who adam really is and what yeah. and what what uh rita really is we see that that's what you know his okay. issue so is. the end so the end of the this part of the oh, movie we're look, about to hit the end of the pilot naomi watts has a seizure we should mention that maybe has right? a what? she has a, a seizure, seizure. She has oh, a seizure. yeah she she has a seizure uh they go back to the apartment and at this point, there was this, apparently there was a scene shot for the pilot they didn't put in the movie that was going to be around here where it was Naomi Watts and Laura Haring like on the or their roof okay. looking out over Los Angeles that thinking about their future. Mm-hmm. That was apparently supposed to be the ending of this. But they also had a bit where Laura Haring takes the blue key, this weird triangular blue key, mm-hmm. Janet Purse, puts it into this weird blue puzzle box she found at the Silencio uh, stage. And then the camera zooms into the darkness 
And then... Well, one of them disappears, and she goes, where, where did you get... Like, well, she, yeah, but there's, it's unceremonious. It's yeah. not like she, like, vanishes in a cloud of smoke. No, no, but she comes back to her still She's not in the Naomi Watts is gone for some reason, and it's weird. Yeah. And then Laura Haring opens the box, and then everything after this was was switches and it was reshoots and one of the reasons why the movie ends the way it does is because when david lynch got european financing to finish the pilot and turn it into a feature he went back to the studio and said hey do you have the sets and the costumes and they're like no and i was like what i thought you kept all those things we did not this time. Hmm. So he had to figure out a way to end the movie without By the way, doing how the Adam same Ke- stuff. How, how Adam Kesher of it. Like, that's what yeah. I'm saying. Of course, I think, yeah. I, you know what, can I make a bold statement? I think that David Lynch prefers that this didn't get picked up by ABC, and I think he prefers probably the ending that he created for this as a film. He's he's openly stated he's kind of embarrassed by the original pilot version of this. I mean, because this, this works. It's not on any DVD. It did find its way out in bootleg form, but... So, so let's go. Yeah. Let, let's go into what happens when, she, when you go through it. I do want to make it clear, yeah. though, that... Although the movie, from this point on, wraps up in a way that seems kind of tidy. Yeah, I do. Um, I, I actually don't see it as that tidy, but I know a lot of people see it very tidy. I know you see it as rather tidy. Well, as a high schooler who understood it, well, I was I, like... I, fair <laughs> enough. But for a few people who but it's really worth, got it's worth got noting that about. all of that is afterthought. Yes. And this wasn't the original plan for the series. This isn't where it was necessarily going. He might have got there eventually, By the but way, he faded. didn't necessarily. It's faded, though, because it's a, yeah. beautiful, it's a beautiful dream. Also, um, yeah, he, he needed to come up with an ending, and... Uh, it was one of those things where he, because he likes working in this milieu, did take a drink. Take a drink. We say that word a lot. Oh, Every time we good. say milieu, you take oh, a drink. Yeah. Oh, I love yeah. that. Oh, yeah. guys, I love that. That's like we me and uh, that's like me and Titular. Yeah, yeah we, we say milieu too much, but he likes so much. Take work. a drink. He yeah. likes working within this uh, TV setup uh, that uh, he he actually very deliberately didn't come up with an ending. He wanted this thing yeah. to sort of be a mystery indefinitely. Right. And as one fact, should. As one when, should. When mm-hmm. he got, and he actually was very much savvier this time about getting notes, from what I understand. I've read some interviews and some, some biographies that uh, when he got a note, like an executive said, well, how, how is this going to end? What's going to happen to this character? He would come back with something really sort of cryptic like, that's an excellent question. Oh, yeah. And then oh, you just sort of walk wait, away. Wait, you ever yeah. seen that interview with him where they go, well, he says something weird and they go, kid, or elaborate? And he goes, no. No. One of his pitches said, for well, this. Well, what's going to happen after that? And he's like, well, you have to buy the show to find out. Well, and, no, yeah. Which and is kind of genius. He, he, he wasn't trying, he wasn't like J.J. Abrams like, he trying, trying to puzzle to get, box yeah. you. Uh, he actually, as an artist, li- I think literally, he's offended. literally, deliberately didn't want to have an ending for this because he just wanted to meander as his imagination. I wonder. Him. I yeah. wonder. I wonder if he's if this note came from like a European exactor or something. I feel like his issue is that he sees himself as an artist, and it's disrespectful to an artist to go. Well, what does this mean? Yeah. Like, what does this painting yeah. mean? Like you know, because he does do a lot of different kinds of artworks and different mediums. Well, he doesn't he, like. He doesn't. This is one of the reasons why I, you know, personally. Of course you'd be offended. Yeah. No, no, no. Well, I'm talking, I'm talking about me. Yeah, okay. Uh, uh, personally, I actually... Mulholland Drive, as much as I love it, I think it's a really excellent film, it's actually not my favorite Lynch film because no, I feel favorite. like in the long run, this ending that he concocted for it is so neat, it actually doesn't feel David Lynch to me. It oh actually my feels God. a little William too Vi- clean. Can I be honest? For- William Viviani, and we just like, got to talk about this critically acclaimed podcast, anyone listening at home who thinks the Mulholland Drive ending was too too neat. Too, yeah. too, too, well, too I, 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 again, Lost the Highway was my big, it was not, wasn't my introduction to Lynch, but it was the thing that made me fall in love with him, and there are no easy answers in that. Or like, it's uh, just Fire Walk this, With Me. 
Yeah, or Fire Walk with me. Even Fire Walk with me at least has some clear narrative There's, through lines that are very which are very distinct. Yeah. I, I think this like, is why Mulholland Drive was actually the critical darling it was because there was actual for the first time in like David Lynch film history. People get it. Corollary. Like oh, no. there was actually people got, connect, it? people got it. People, people got it, and I think yeah. which is why I for me I think David Lynch sold out with this one. Oh my god. <laughs> You guys oh sound like that, the thing where it's like where it's like where they do like the inceptless there's a parody of Inception where it's like no because like sense is boring because like you know if it makes yeah. sense it's boring I mean like I don't like Eraserhead it, it feels like an installation project mm. this makes sense they have to make a little bit of sense I like things feeling like dreams but if there's no narrative thrust I think dreams make sense but you have to have like sort of the decoder ring you have to know like what symbolism means to you yeah. and I think some David Lynch films give you the information you need to decode it for yourself but even then there's always some plausible deniability there's always another way to interpret it right. I, feel like Ma- I feel like Mulholland Drive is the last act is such a big about face and then the last act is so consistent that I, I think it's I think it's basically just telling you what happened and so this oh. last act we cut to a different reality where Naomi Watts is Diane yeah. She was in a relationship. We wake with, up to her masturbating with, first of all. Yeah. Mas- yeah. Crazy masturbation scene. She's she's the, masturbating and crying at the same time. Crying, she, yeah. she gets she, a phone call. She's been well, she's been dating Laura Haring. Yeah. We find out. And uh, Laura Haring is On now playing. It turns out her name is Camilla, which is the name of the woman that Justin Theroux was supposed to cast so, in that movie. By the way, let's back up for a second. They've yeah. met on the set of the movie that Adam Adam Kesher is yeah. doing. They, she has a very similar thing where, where, except it's Naomi Watts being brought to the, as parallel to the movie's opening, she's being brought in a limo by Laura Haring to, yeah. and she's saying, mm-hmm. get out of the car. What, are we going to get shot? No, but they do, go to a party. They go to a yeah. party, and it's at Adam Kesher's house, which should be very established from the from the scene where Adam, you know, finds his wife cheating on her. We basically find out this is like her rage fantasy of it, because what happens yeah. is we find out Laura Haring, on the set, even though that they've had a relationship, and Betty, or whatever her name is, with Diane, Diana, Diana and, and Camilla have been having an affair, Camilla's actually going, and I don't know why she would do this except to be cruel, is actually getting married to Adam Kesher. And, and takes, yeah. she, and she, takes she, her girlfriend to And, and announces it, and, party, and yeah. me, or Cookie, or whatever her name was, turns out to be Adam's mother. Coco. Coco, Coco. turns out to be Adam's mother. Mm-hmm. The cowboy is at this party as well. The 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 guy from the Winkies is at the party Everyone, as well. So Everyone, these are all like, it's, it's like a, a David was, Mammoth ending. Well, it's, a very, no, 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 yeah. it's like a Wizard of Oz ending. It's like a very wild yeah. party. You were there. You, you were there, there, and you were there. You're right, Wizard of Oz is probably more apt. David Lynch loves it. Well, and it's also, you realize why all these bad things happen to all these people and things. These were people that were involved in this experience of hers that she is very very toxic and that is her so yeah. basically you find out because of this she's so heartbroken I don't know what what kind of delusional relationship they think they had but we uh, by the way we, it, we it was a secret relationship anyway it was a secret it, relationship yeah. but like not so secret that she wouldn't bring her person there and then want to like destroy her publicly so basically she's so messed up about this Diane is that she hires the hitman who we've seen earlier with the book mm-hmm. of names to uh, take out Camilla mm-hmm. and when she's masturbating she gets this phone call she hears it's done so she knows that she's murdered her lover. Mm-hmm. And that's also why we know that Adam has seen the cowboy two more times because the love of his life has just been murdered. Um, there's a, the image that they, that they came into and they saw a murdered person in bed, uh, that's... That's the Laura Herring character. That, no, yeah, no, it's no, it's Diane. It's Naomi Watts, Watts because oh. that's her last thing in the movie is that she shoots herself right. in the head. She's the body that the that the neighbor yeah. found. That's that's her. Mm. It's yeah. Or is the last act the dream? That's the question I sometimes ask. And uh, because the way I saw it is, this was Betty, like the scales were falling from her eyes. She uh, uh, she was you know went to it's such LA a different and, Betty. and and saw like everything was sort of 
Like she had this really oh, dark she, audition. Oh, by the way, she won the jitterbug. Yeah. That's what the jitterbug yeah. relates she to. Won a jitterbug she won a jitterbug. It was that's in both realities, by the way. Because yeah. like, she repeats an Adam's thing, so yeah. we know that that's how innocent but she is. There's these two old people she meets at the airport that just sort of grin like maniacs. And, and then, it's yeah. really kind of nightmarish. And then at the very end of the movie, we see those characters again and as good. these little miniature people who like crawl in under the door <laughs> and then <laughs> grow to normal size and just sort of attack her. Well, right. And I think that might also be a dream of. Uh, sort of like the regret of maybe not regret but just sort of memories of the life that she used to have before coming to LA but, by the way that's the third best I mean that's the that's the third uh, Naomi Watts that we see in this movie that is such a complete departure from the other two that we're like mm-hmm. this is like this is like this beaten down like like totally rage filled but like uh, you know it's a totally different character like mm-hmm. this person is not who we've been introduced to it's not any part of Betty it just shows you that that scene that we had with her audition was one facet. That's why I think Betty is the best version of herself. Okay. The other thing that I think sometimes gets overlooked and it affects the way I interpret this and we didn't even talk about it was... Oh my God, we missed something. (laughs) Well, it's a little thing, but for me it means a lot. Um, At one point... Uh, Laura Haring is like she's she's been really traumatized and she does a thing that people have done a lot where she tries she cuts her hair mm-hmm. she has to cut her she's gonna change who she is yeah they're wearing wig oh, they're wearing and too. and Naomi Watts gives her Naomi Watts's haircut yeah. and hair color which starts to raise the question of are they really even two different people okay. are we entering into a persona territory one could make the argument that Laura Haring who as we see at the beginning of the film is someone of note of consequence of greatness is on her way down and only by forgetting everything that she learned can she approach some sense of purity, innocence, love. And Naomi Watts is on the ascent and every time she is heading her way up the ladder, it involves her sort of losing that innocence and getting darker mm-hmm. and more well, sexually. So like they're kind of meeting in the middle but and he- becoming the same human being, which raises my question, Diane, as played by Naomi Watts, yeah. what if she's playing Rita? Well, here's the other thing, though, about Rita. Rita might be so glamorous and famous, but there's something wrong with Rita because, I mean, with who she was and who she is because no one's looking for her. She's not in the papers. She's not famous enough for anybody to recognize it. Which is why I, I, I suggest, maybe, that Rita isn't actually the... I think Rita is actually Betty. I don't think Rita's a person. No, I think Rita's a Rita, concept. But Rita could be a concept invented by Betty, and that is just one thing Betty went through. Or it's something that Hollywood is like in this in this creepy version of Hollywood. They've made yeah. they've made her disappear. Well, her existence is no longer yeah. a thing. Betty comes to LA and kind of vanishes into the walls. Her identity is erased. Yeah. Uh, Camilla. Laura, Cam- Camilla. Laura Herring literally emerges from the Hollywood Hills. Yeah. She's just born out of the ground, essentially. Yeah. So th- these two beings represent... Different versions, different, right. Different versions of L.A. But like, so yeah. Betty... And this, by the way, this is why Betty's the perfect foil for Rita, because she's just gotten to L.A. Who would she know if she if this was a gangster's wife, if this was... Mm. Yeah. The only thing she would know is if this woman was a, a cele- like an A-list celebrity, which she yeah. doesn't seem to know. We seem to think that whatever Camilla's doing, it's because of... She's with somebody who's very, very powerful because yeah. that's just, it's obviously not well, her well, limo. He, well, here's a question. Here's a question. Yeah. So Camilla is, uh, or, or Rita. Let's go with that reality. Okay, yeah, Rita. Rita, Rita disappears on the Hollywood Hills. The next day we find out that Justin Theroux needs to recast his movie. Yes, yes. So that's what I've originally always thought. It's just, yes. Yeah, it's that could be. And isn't the, that Camille is the name of the chick person who's, uh, isn't Camille the name Camille's, of the most person they, they need to like have so a recast. Rita, so Rita, Camille, Rita, It could be, and of course she's working on the movie in Naomi Watts's mm-hmm. other dream or non-dream. But for me, for me, what it all boils down to is if you look at that scene at the Winkies, yeah. where reality is what we dream and what 
we dream is a reality. Mm-hmm. All of these things that we are saying right now mm-hmm. about what Mulholland Drive means, what the characters mean mm-hmm. to each other, what they represent, every single one of them is equally accurate. Yes. Every well, single one of them is nobody... equally happening at the same time. And if the second half is the dream, or if the first half is a dream, or if it's all just one dream... It's equally right. Hollywood. This is why it's like it's, it's like almost like dissecting Mulholland Drive is beside the point because it's like dissecting a dream. It's the feeling you get while watching oh. these scenes happen. That's yeah. it's, it's, it really does it for you. It's that feeling of Duh. why no one's ever looking for. Re- By the way, no one ever comes after and looks for. Re- there's no. Yeah. There's no. Well, place- I, th- I suspect that if it was a show, they would have eventually. Oh sure. We, that's why you introduced Robin. I'm Forster saying, but like to the point like- of what this world is, no one's besides the fact that Robert Forrester was like at the scene of the crime. By the way, just as somebody is like, there was an accident. We've come to mm-hmm. not like who this person was she doesn't exist it's more the feeling you get that someone is going to be after them that there's something happening it's just a nightmare it's a nightmare in a beautifully set like bright LA like it's beautiful what a beautiful nightmare one of the scariest movies ever made is Eraserhead Uh, and I think that's because it doesn't deal with a situation you find scary it deals with like kind of an unadulterated version of fear yes it's just these weird free-floating anxieties told through these surrealistic fatherhood and they've got the noises um, the, the, the sound, the, the sound <laughs> I can't stand the sound in, uh, in this I have the soundtrack on CD it's just grinding noises oh it's by like, the way you, you hear some like uh, old like Fats Domino and that's uh, what he likes pieces. to do that's yeah, what like he does now in his current through the walls, when he does like uh, stuff with Dark Mouse or whatever mm-hmm. that's like a lot of his stuff yeah, it's just yeah, yeah. this that it's almost like no wonder Trent Reznor loves doing stuff with him right, right? because yeah. it's just sort of like industrial noise it's literally but, industrial noises but uh, David I was going to bring this up earlier yeah. David Lynch notoriously really hates uh, being called a surrealist he doesn't feel he's a surrealist because yeah. if you look up the history of the artistic movement it's all rooted in like a very political motivation it's yes. about sort of deliberately attacking the artistic establishment yeah and, uh, he just wants to be left alone, and, man. And he always, mm-hmm. and he always saw, you know, especially if you look at like the work of Louis Buñuel. There's yeah. a definite political one-to-one symbolic corollary. He's to not comedia dell'arte. He's not like yeah. he's not he's not anyone in the street. He is anything. He's an artist who wants to be left alone and like mm-hmm. wants to not be associated. Besides transcendental like, meditation, he does not want to be associated with anyone with else's like thing. Yeah, because that means an interpretation. Yeah, exactly. He said he said in an interview once he doesn't want his work to be. Interpreted in the way we're interpreting it, he actually would probably be a little bit grossed out by our discussion. He wants probably because, yeah. mixed uh, media. He wants people to come into his world like it is an art and, gallery. And he's always said he doesn't want to talk about his films. He doesn't want to explain his films because it's already there. By Just the way, I don't there, think sit I, down, I don't think watch it the way I want you to watch it, and you'll get everything because my the emotions I'm communicating to you I would argue, is already right I would argue there. that he wouldn't have a problem with us debating it because oh, he would love us to debate. Yeah, yeah us to, determining it—that's not the problem. The problem is asking him in any definitive sense to answer it must be infuriating. Which it's, brings me yeah. to the DVD. Yes, let's go to the DVD uh, because yeah, David it, Lynch. It has, it ha- you have the uh, the little uh, yeah. There's a legend in here where it explains stuff. Well, sort of. I, what remember, I, remember, was, I haven't seen this in like over a decade. So what happened was when they released the DVD of Mulholland Drive, the producers deal. of the DVD decided that this movie is so enigmatic, so elliptical, that they should provide clues to interpreting it. David Lynch did not want to do this, but they eventually settled on I love this. this. It's called Mulholland Drive, David Lynch's Ten Clues... <laughs> Oh my god, I never saw thriller. this. I never saw yeah, my kid. Yeah. It was the Justin the First edition. I have no, the Criterion Blu ray right now. I imagine oh it's not god. in the Criterion. Hey, in hey, Ariella, hey, everybody from Wild Lake High School. Uh, just know that I somehow missed the fact that there are 10 clues to Mulholland Drive. Now, allegedly, Wait, at least at really least one or two of these are not even clues. They're just misleads because David Lynch didn't take can we do them, can we do them in a David Lynch voice? 
Oh, then it has to be Whitney. Oh, Whitney does much better divulge than I do. Ten clues to unlocking this thriller. Pay particular attention to the beginning of the film. At least two clues are revealed before the credits. Which is true. Which is true. Notice appearances of the red lampshade. Yeah, okay. Uh, Can you hear the title of the film that Adam Kesher is auditioning actresses for? Is it mentioned again? Oh, interesting. What's the name of the film? It was uh, like the something something story, and it shows up later in the film. Okay, okay, yeah. I forget. An accident is a terrible event. Yes. Notice the location of the accident. It's Mulholland Drive. Mulholland Drive. (laughs) (laughs) See, it's not really a clue. Oh my God, I love this so much. I love him so much, you guys. Who gives a key and why? That, so that's very important. Gives, the hitman gives a key later on. Yes, okay. Name, yeah. Who gives a key? Yeah, because the hitman gives it to her to represent that she's... she's yeah, if, yeah, when, yeah, if yeah. You, if, when you see this key again, you'll know that I've killed the person yeah. you want me to kill. Yeah. Yeah. Notice the robe, the ashtray, the coffee cup. Also, later in the film, when we the ashtray tells you the chronology of yeah. when Naomi Watts oh, is in right. the apartment. Yeah. Uh, what is felt, realized, and gathered at the Club Silencio? Ah, that's, that's see, that's not a clue. That's, that's just asking is. you to be an audience member. No, no, no. And think I was saying the, the box is yeah. is is. is yeah, felt. These feel like study that's, questions you'd give like a high school class. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, but wait, but first of all, a seizure is felt like that. I mean, yeah. these things cannot be quite literal. They True, could, but I think he's also yeah. just trying to tell people just. I love this. Watch I love this. Can movie. I can I like take a picture of this? This sure, means so much to me. Did talent alone help Camilla? Aha! That's a great question. No, that's a great question because that is who is Camilla? Like, was Camilla actually part of something shady? This whole scene. Last one. Notice the occurrences surrounding the man behind Winkies. So he does appear again. I believe there's a second appearance. He does. He shows up at the end. The man behind the Winkies shows up again. So he's played played by a a woman. Oh yes, I did know that. Yes, yes, I did know that. Mm -hmm. All right, how many? And uh, and number ten. Where is Aunt Ruth? Where is Aunt Ruth? Where oh is God, Aunt these Ruth? These are amazing. Yeah. Uh, hold on, I'm Where looking. is Aunt Ruth? Where is Aunt Ruth? Is so brilliant. Yeah. Uh, I gotta take a picture. I, of this. I have. Uh, I have with me. Uh, I, By I the way, the... I think these are, these are deeper than the, the, the. I think these aren't just a few questions. I think that these actually. I think some. Of, I think a couple. It's, I think. I think this... where does it? T- where does the crash take place? Is an fu question. Well, I think most of them are fine. This this sort of thing though is is clearly not David Lynch's idea. I mean, idea. this is a this is a heel move, not a face move. Is I think it's a heel move. But I think this actually would help. Someone like me, a lot of people who are, have trouble interpreting this, this actually does help as sort of like, a, like you said, at no. the end of high school thing, being like, hey, pay attention to the ashtray that helps you figure it I out. Ha- I actually don't disagree with that. I just don't think David Lynch would have would have wanted that yeah. out no. there at all. Um, um, but I mean, like, he just wants to tell you about quinoa and how to make quinoa, guys. Of course he does. I, I got the uh, Criterion Collection Blu-ray from nice. Bowen Drive here, and um, cool flex. And there's like a big interview with him about just sort of his experience making it and. The interviewer is wise enough not to ask about sort of like this. Well, this is all transcendent. Yeah, That's yeah. one thing about David Lynch. I'm kind of like, eh, okay, like enough with the transcendent. Like enough pushing this, this yeah, not religious, yeah. whatever. But like you know, enough with this. If you don't want to answer, just answer like an asshole. But uh, I'm not. It's it's like yeah, just photographs and production. Nice. Photos. I, There's oh no God, the, like, the actual uh, t- ten study points was not included. I, I didn't think it would be. Yeah, I want to see if I can find any quick hints to this though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's see. What do you mean by true? Okay, let's see. <laughs> well, we don't, we don't We're not just going to read this online. No, no, no. no, no just, I'm just trying oh, to see. I'm, I'm good at picking up like weird little clues. Okay. Um, so uh, here's the question mm-hmm. about Mulholland Drive. Obviously, we all, to varying degrees, appreciate and respect and love the movie. Yeah. The movie but, that, that the pilot ended up Yeah, becoming. But let's try to like extract that whole third act from the movie and focus on what we know was in the pilot. Yes. And ask ourselves, 
what would this show have looked like? Would that and, have been a good series? And so, oh. let's, assuming it's, let's, again, assuming it's basically the same, except we no longer have any of the stuff with Naomi Watts changing characters in the Lord Would the lesbianism That's, say the same? I think, no. No, no I, think, I, think, I think it would have been pulled out longer. I think it would have been pulled out longer. I think it would, yeah, I think they would have pushed that to later. It but I think the, but, the, but the chemistry was clearly there, and I think it's something they would have yeah. played with. Um, I love what, this. I love what this. we've got, basically, is... Weird this is Well, no, because if you look at David Lynch's key influences on Twin Peaks, just to go back a little bit, he has two influences, murder mysteries and soap operas. Right. Twin Peaks is very much constructed like a soap opera. Mm-hmm. Was that Mark Frost, though, or was that Lynch? I, but Lynch was clearly right. into it as well, I think. Yeah. And I think... This is noir. This is, this is this Philip Marlowe. This, this is, is definitely noir. And, noir. I th- and I think, again, going back to the, the original conception of this as an Audrey Horn spinoff... Mm-hmm. Oh I right! Oh right! I keep forgetting. Yes, I think uh, I honestly think it, the the overall structure of this would have spread out a bit more organically like that, and just been okay. So who are we following? We're following an ingenue in Hollywood. We're following an amnesiac in Hollywood who is somehow connected to something places. really dangerous. We're following this Winkies. We're following Whatever's, this Winkies. There's yeah. a couple of key bits of iconography. We're following the production of a movie being made. Yeah. We're following a director who is being manipulated by a sinister cabal. Yeah. David Lynch can spread that out for 50 fucking years yeah. as far as I care. Yeah. That just goes, just follow that Club in chronological Sil- order Club and Silencio? just go nuts. We could have like, we could have used that as another like space, you know, like that can happen art. later. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It's going to happen. Like we're going to see like, been a, a home base, like at the end of every episode. Or like that, or like, or by the way, scene. or like it's like the play, it's like, like the, um, it's like the red, it's like the black lodge. Like it could be yeah. an yeah. other, yeah. an other space. The way Winky seems to be a liminal space of where nightmares and reality come yeah. into. There's so much that could be done with this. I mean, I never really thought about it as an Audrey Horn thing, but that would be perfect. She tries to leave Twin Peaks and ends up in an even weirder space. And if you take into account what we know about Audrey from the new Twin Peaks, that she comes home yeah. and she's married to this very small, like a, like a, a dwarf. I believe he's a dwarf. Uh, like he's just, he's just a short, short, short man. But like whatever their relationship is, it's real mismatched. And you have no idea why that well, heck they've ever been together. I think they're. I think they're. They don't like each other. No, they don't like each other, but I think the, the, the interpretation that I've heard most often that I basically believe is, if you'll recall at the, where Audrey Horn ended up at the end of the original series... Oh, uh, shit, in a bank vault that... She was a bank vault that blew up. Yeah, exactly. So, the general conception of why can't she leave her house? Why can't she go anywhere? That's, She's in a coma. Wait, wait, wait. That wasn't what I... Sorry, I, I just meant, like, how did she end up with this... Yeah. And that the idea is that he is like part of her subconscious, and he's keeping her in her coma. But no, but she had a kid. She had a kid. She, had she a... mentions she had a kid. No, no, but you know who the kid is? It's it's Dale's. Kid. It's, it's... <laughs> no, no. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm gonna go. Put we my don't know. Back we don't. We don't know for a fact that she ever actually met that child. Yeah, no. She, she could have had that child in the coma. No, no. And not only that, but she. No, it is. It is. It's absolutely his kid, and it's absolutely her kid because he goes over to like. Uh, they go over to. Uh, oh, I guess he goes over to what's his name's house. Am I thinking of the wrong he never thing? actually has a scene with Audrey. Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. I feel that. So that might be an interpretation. I could also read it as she went to Hollywood, sold out. She married some like you know account somebody in this cabal. Yeah. yeah this yeah. is somebody in that cabal. And That's that you know like and this is her. So she went in as not Betty and not Rita, but kind of an amalgamation of somebody mm-hmm. who thinks they're they're smarter than and this. By and the way, an, al- think, an amalgamation of Betty that, and Rita is a really good description of Audrey Horn to begin with. I, exactly. She is a small town girl, but she also knows how to be a femme fatale. Yeah. She also knows her own sexuality, even but though she's, she's a actually, child. She's technically very inexperienced. Yeah, and, and Billy Zane. Was, uh, yeah. And yeah. because her friend Billy Zane shows up. Oh, <laughs> Billy. Friend Billy Zane. Yeah. Uh, do you think Audrey Horn like would have shown up in the Mulholland Drive TV series or 
had David well, Lynch already kind of done the character. I don't. I think he probably would have wouldn't have brought her back by this. I don't point. know. He yeah. but he put her in Wild at Heart. But um, not but not playing the same character. I'm not saying. Not saying, not saying, not by saying the way, who says that she would have to be Audrey Horn? She could literally. There could be well, Audrey. Yeah. No, I'm saying there could be an Audrey Horn person that's played by somebody else, and she could have shown up as a different character. That's yeah. true. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Identities I, again. Fire Walk with me. You just recast with Moira Kelly because well, Lars Boyle didn't want to do anything. Well, that's people they couldn't find. But I'm saying in terms of playing the idea of identities, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if he had done something like. Someone else, someone new is Audrey Horn, but like in the way that we kind of do anthology TV shows now, and people play well, different characters. Like she shows up, and she's not because that also plays the idea of what Hollywood is. You change your name, you come in new. Your who did who did who did um, who Charlotte did? Fenn play? Yeah, in Wild at Heart. She played the girl in the car accident. She played a woman who had a car accident oh, right. and played her head. Yeah, that's right. Who is, what, how does this movie begin? A woman in a car accident with hair not unlike Sherilyn Fenn's in Wooden Peaks. <laughs> oh my God, so maybe... Maybe, maybe that's the stopgap. Maybe and that's yeah. her turning into Laura Flynn And this is, by the way, this is the kind of shit... This is what David Lynch would love us to be doing. Right yeah, not that, but like maybe the show... Conspiracy theories about the, the show here? David Lynch cinematic universe. Yes. But, 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 but the DCU? Come on. Like, I... DLCU? The real DCU. Be honest, uh, like, what if the show? Here's another thing. What if the show was about her in Hollywood, but it it's the same story, but it's she's the one in the car accident in the beginning. Betty's just somebody new, and we don't know what's happened between Audrey from Twin Peaks and Audrey that's in this car accident, and this has happened to. We know what happened to Audrey in Twin Peaks, but something else, something worse, has since happened, and she doesn't remember who she is. She doesn't remember she's Audrey Warren. This is why I love I'm, David Lynch movies because guys. normally this would be bullshit headcanon. But in David Lynch, this is exactly what it's supposed to be. Yeah, it's whatever you well, want. It's whatever you want it to be. It's so great. Here, here's what I'm going to say. Uh, I think uh, we're lucky to have Mulholland Drive as a film and not a pilot. I agree. I think it's... Uh, it's or a show, specifically. Uh, yeah, I, I think if this had been turned into an actual series, mm-hmm. I think it would have been too slow and too moody and the executives for audiences. The executives, executives wouldn't have, have killed it. For network it TV in been, particular, maybe yeah. if it had been on HBO where people were starting lasted. to get into the Sopranos. But this was 2001. It was too early for that sort of people thing. People were starting to get into it. People were starting to get into it. Not Lynch, who won't take one freaking note. Not what Lynch. Yeah. They literally, Showtime yeah. had to so like back the hell off. If, yeah. if this was David Lynch in, on Showtime in 2017, he's just allowed to do whatever he wants. That that's a good Mulholland Drive TV series. Yeah. Here's my thought. Mulholland Drive on ABC in 1999 would, would have lasted six or seven episodes. It would have been canceled, and we wouldn't be talking about it anymore. It'd be like, oh, we talk about it on our we, show. We talk about it on our yeah. show, but it would be this sort of cult oddity, and it wouldn't be this sort of like cinema it would, darling. It wouldn't get people. David Lynch an Academy Award here's, nomination for Best Director or, yeah. or a, a Grand Prix at Cannes. You know, this got, this film here's, got a lot of awards. I think I just, the way I feel about Tarantino, I think I just have an idea of what David Lynch should be doing. Which which is he needs to be doing this sort of anthology every season is a different like Fargo yeah. but like he mm. needs to be the Coen brothers doing Fargo where every season is a different is a different interpretation or a different place or it's like it resets yeah. but it's in, still in the same universe I'd be very happy well, I just wanted to work more oh that, my god that was his well, approach to making Inland Empire yeah. Uh, evidently, the way it went is he had a bunch of his shorts that he kind of edited. Oh, because of his website. By the way, this guy, he's, he was so ahead of his time with the idea of these these interactive alternate reality game websites thing with mm. the paywalls. I mean, yeah. that's where yeah, Rabbits from Inland. Yeah, uh, uh, Dumbland is on there, yeah. too. Yeah. Um, can you believe but, Eli Roth was like the guy like just doing the grunt That's refresh? actually really hard to picture to be perfect. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. But uh, he evidently would like have an idea, like dream an idea, yeah. then wake up early in the morning, call Laura Dern and say, hey, are you busy today? She's like, no. 
So like, come over to my place. We'll shoot something in my backyard. Can I... And and he like gave her some direction. He like shot a... something, and that made. He's it into an artist. Final cut yeah, of film. he's like the artist. He's um, like, oh, can I come over and you? I'll cover you in paint and whatever. Like you have yeah, to go like, along with this interpretation. Yeah, you don't now, ask now you're a, now you're a Polish sex worker. Oh my god. Go. You know whatever it is. And... Um. Well, this is what I look. I, the best compliment I've ever received in my entire life was I was interviewing Bruce Dern once for Nebraska, mm. and he turns to me and he goes, "You remind me so much of of one of Laura's friends." And I went, who? And he goes, oh, I don't know. Someone she used to hang out with when he was she was hanging out with David Lynch and that whole group. And I was like, I don't care who it is. I am, I am, I am so on board. Thank you. Oh my God, Bruce Dern. I, there's more to that story, but I'm not gonna repeat it on air. But no. like, oh my, oh God. my God. No, it's not. It's not oh, like okay. that. It's not. Okay. It's not. But I, but I was basically like, Bruce Dern, you're my freaking hero. Like, thank you for yeah. making a little girls. I interviewed Ray Weiss once, and he gave me the biggest hug. Oh, and as I, I met him once. He was really nice. And as I left the room, a picture with him. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you were there. I, as I left the room, I heard him go. The the agent. Well, isn't that just one of the most beautiful women? And Aww. I was just like, Aww. oh, I like was. It's a nice way to put that. I was in. I burst into tears. That's I was like, lucky we were poor. Uh, Drew, before we, yeah. as we wrap this thing up, I just want to get a clear uh, a vote from you. Do you feel like uh, Mahon Drive was canceled too soon, or do you feel like it was better off? It's just a movie. Oh, I mean, like it wasn't canceled too soon if it wasn't made. So I would say, yeah, okay, yeah, I understand. Yeah. I understand the concept. I would have loved to see a Mulholland Drive TV show, but in the state that it was, it would never gonna gotten made. So mm-hmm. yes, I I believe it is a perfect. It is a perfect film. It mm-hmm. is such an instrumental. It's hard for me to separate it from who I was when I saw it. So it was the. It's a perfect film. I, I would keep it as a film. I, uh, I I wasn't on board until I heard Whitney's explanation because I actually just do enjoy thinking about the further adventures of these characters. Yeah. Without the kind of somewhat obvious ending that's in the movie. I, again, I love it. obvious is Wait, not. I, I, I think it, compared yeah, to other yeah, David Lynch stories. This one's pretty pretty straightforward. Okay. That's such a heel move. I know, but I've, I've, what? <laughs> so listen, all I'm going to say is you've convinced me. I think you're right. I think this wasn't canceled too soon. I think it's. Yeah. Although I do want to say one more bit of trivia, which is just fucking baffling and stupid, because uh, I didn't have find a place to fit this okay. in. One of the other reasons that they passed on the show, besides thinking it was boring, apparently the executives. Not all the things. Apparently the executives thought that Naomi Watts and Laura Haring mm. were too old for television. Because, oh because, uh, my god! They're, they're like the yes. ripe old age of twenty nine. Yeah, Naomi Watts hasn't aged a day, by the way, in the last thirty years. It's, it's not. The, I mean, that's not the point. The point. But is, no, no. Regardless, it's stupid. But like, well, no, yeah. what's funny is I remember watching as teenagers and being like, "Wow, look at these hot fifty year old." Like I had no sense of how old people. <laughs> I was like, you know, look at these hot adult people. That's on, hysterical. I, yeah, because that, mm. that's absolutely true. If it had been about Audrey, one thing, but yeah. it's not. You know, there's no yeah. hot ingenue. See, uh, Even though she's playing in the in the audition, she's playing a high schooler. My dad. I know. So uh, it looks like uh, Naomi Watts was thirty one when they shot it. Okay. Oh God. Oh, and, and Laura Herring. Oh, can I make um, it? Was yeah, was also in her. She was like in her mid thirties. And by the way, this movie was so influential that like I feel like the very next year I mentioned how Donnie Darko came out the same year and all this stuff. Richard Kelly's next movie, uh, Southland Tales, oh, features golly. features a scene where Rebecca Del Rio is in a blimp. Singing to a bunch of people. Like, oh you know, my like, god, I didn't put that together. Oh, that yeah, might be yeah, intentional. Please don't connect anything to Southland Tales. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Hot tip rewatch Southland Tales without any expectations. It's kind of a fun movie. Uh, I've re- I've, uh, yeah. I saw it three I, times in the theater. Did you ever read the comic book that, you know, because that was. God, gonna, no. No. Okay, I don't think you're doing supplemental reading. No, no, Southland because that Tales. was not the movie he wanted to make. And much like The Fountain, like, there's a supplemental pre- like comic book that he did a graphic <laughs> novel. That's great. Anyway, that's uh, care of Stephen Grant, my dad, who's way better at this stuff than I am. Uh, thank you guys so much for. Thanks so much. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Drew, where can people find you and your wonderful stuff? Okay, so you can find me at, at Video Drew or like any of the things 
in Video Drew, like Twitter, uh, Video Drew, Video Drew. Oh, Video Drew dot Club, which is where I do all my streaming stuff. And you can also find me on Movie Trivia Schmodown, which is a show that I, all these gentlemen, these nice gentlemen, and me are on, and that literally are. Ugh, it's so much fun. It's so much fun, guys. And also uh, Patreon dot com backslash Can you guess Video Drew? Uh, that's spelled like Video Drone, but like with the word Drew in it. Viviani being the only person to ever get that. Everyone was like, oh my god, how could he ruin the mystery of Video no, Drew's name? Someone said that on Instagram. People said that. No, but, but my, yeah, no, people well, said that on Reddit. But basically, no, it wasn't a secret, but what I said was, oh, hey, Bibbs, like, let's not give up the mystery too soon, sarcastically, because no one understood that my name was a reference to anything. So well, people thought I ruined your, your stick, no, and I'm like, no, a couple, I just got people, a, a couple Reddit people, but honestly, yeah. they just thought that I was no. mad at it. Who cares? No. Well, and, anyway. and on, on social media, you put your name line as uh, Long Live the, the Drew Flesh. flesh. It's, it's, it's all was, right it's, there. Yeah, if you see the more, movie, you're not subtle. It's more to show you that uh, only a couple people here know real cinema. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, we want to seriously <laughs> thank you so much, <laughs> Video Drew, for joining us. Thank you for a dream come true of mine. Well, it's been a real delight. Yeah, we also have on Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, there you can vote for future episodes of our shows. You get exclusive content like all our yesterdays where we review every Star Trek episode in production order. Uh, only the best where we review every single movie ever nominated for best picture in chronological order. We do downloadable commentary tracks. We do uh, Google Hangouts. Tons of stuff. Patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. And of course we're on Twitter at Critic Acclaim, I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And uh, we're recording this episode quite a bit in advance, so we don't know what's coming up next on Critic on uh, Cancel Too Soon. We did not talk it out before the podcast. Yay. We're going to be as surprised as you. Yay! Woo! We did it! That's a wrap. We will see you next season. <laughs>